Ah, there's my co-host. So glad to have you guys here. Let me turn my TV down. Sorry, guys. But uh, seems like it's been a minute, but I'm so glad to be able to be here with you guys tonight. And so thankful for Ngazi being uh, my co-host. We were going to um, be featuring... Um, Queen V, who I did an interview with, and I'll have to find that and put it up on my, um, in the Jumbotron, but due to some um, family circumstances, she's not going to be able to be here for like a full Q&A. She may stop in to listen, but um, it's always a great opportunity for us to have some discussions around the things that are going on in our political um, world and in um, in our lives and in our communities uh, that you know we want to speak to and bring awareness to and certainly um, the uh, debt ceiling um, crisis that was just uh, averted is um, a topic that I feel like is worthy of discussion and celebration and I'd love to hear people's views on it and so glad to have my friend. Uh, 2K and Shantae in here. So I'm going to get um, started and um, give my co-host an opportunity to say hello and uh, send out some invites. And then I'm also going to put some things up in the Jumbotron because I don't know if on your timeline my uh, tweets come through because Twitter is doing the most right now. But, you know, I've been digging down into dark money and some of the astroturf groups, just peeling back the layers on what is going on. So I have posted a few things about Moms for Liberty, and I'm going to put that up there. And um, I would love to um, talk about that at some point this evening, too. And Mark is going to be here as well to give us some legal updates, and I'm looking forward to that. So, again, thank you guys for being here tonight. Please do share and retweet the space, and I am going to uh, welcome you all to not be shy. Come on up and join us in the conversation. So, Ngazi, how are you tonight, my dear? Hello, I'm doing well. How is everybody? Um, I hope everyone's having a good Friday. Um, so I do have some things I want to also put in the Jumbotron. I just have to find where I saved them. Um, but I'm glad to be here and I'm grateful for the opportunity to co-host with you. Thank you. Well, thank you, my dear. So glad to have you here. So we do have a couple of invites that have joined us on the stage, and I'm looking forward to these awesome voices because um, they are always um, a joy to hear, so much to share with us. So I'm going to um, give the mic to Shantae and then Joseph. Looking forward to hearing from both of them and um, you guys listening down there in the gallery. Thank you for being here. Don't be shy. Share, retweet the space, um, and certainly uh, come on up, request the mic, and join in. Um, it's kind of, you know, TGIF, so whatever you want to talk about uh, is going to be pretty cool with me. <laughs> so, uh, Shantae, how are you this evening, my dear? I'm doing okay. Um, it was a busy day. I actually had to go into the office today. It's like the second time I have went in. 
because I normally work from home, but I had to go in today, which is not bad because I got to meet the rest of my team. So which is good because we work remote. So that was fine. In terms of the budget, I'm glad it got passed because I know there were some Democrats in the House from my um, city. I know there were city Democrats in, in New York City that didn't vote for it. People were mad at them. And I'm just like, I expected some not to vote for it, not just because of the progressive ideals, because I know because of the SNAP work, work requirements thing and the SNAP thing is really a huge thing. So I understood it. But at the same time, some of them should have voted for it. But I can't fault them. Some of them that actually voted against it actually votes with the president most of the time. Like Dan Goldman's of the world, the Adriano's of the world, Richie Torres of the world, and Nydia and Grace. They normally vote with the president on mostly everything. So I was not surprised that they voted against this bill. Because Kevin McCarthy, even though the president won some stuff over it, but it was like some stuff was just like, oh, okay. You know, because we do got infrastructure projects and energy projects going on with like the rebuilding of the uh, Madison Square Garden here. So like another thing to not transit stuff. So in the LLR stuff. So it's like, oh, okay. And I don't want to, you know, be sympathetic to them, but I kind of understood their position. Right. I mean, it's called negotiation. And sometimes I, I feel like they were making a um, a stance on issues that are important to them and their constituency, which is important, but not at the risk of, um, you know, which I, which I, the which, bill which failing. I agree. Which I agree. That's why I was just like, oh, OK. Well, I was just like. You know, but there was more Democrats, but there was upstate Democrats and only like one or two city Democrats from my state voted for the bill. And that was Hakeem Jeffries, of course, because he's the majority leader, not majority of the minority leader. And then you had my senator, of course, voted for it. I think both of my senators, if I'm not mistaken, voted for the bill, especially because my senator is also the majority leader. So like, yeah, he voted for it. So like all new New York Congress people didn't vote, um, just didn't vote against it. So I'm just like, thank God, you know, but uh, besides that, I'm not really upset about it, but norm, but I knew it would pass eventually. And I knew there was going to be some Democrats that voted against it, you know, but there was more Republicans that actually voted against it. It was 71 Republicans that voted against it versus 46 Democrats. Yeah, because they were they were trying to cause it to crash. Um, they were hoping the Democrats would save them because some of them, they really didn't want it. It just, you know, sounded good and extreme uh, for them and their base. Because, you know, once people started uh, feeling the consequences, nobody would have won, you know, nobody. And sometimes in negotiations, you walk away with a little less than you had anticipated, but uh, you still walk away with something. So, and this something was very important to save the economy. Yeah. And it's going to be more budget negotiations in 2024. That's why it makes sense, you know, with that. So I'm, I'm just tired of people. I'm just tired of talking about, a lot of things <laughs> I need to take a break from, you know, hosting spaces. I need to take a break from everything because it seemed like everything is starting to get to me <laughs> one bit by bit. Um, I am in the process of either wanting to deactivate my account or not. Um, so I'm really like struggling with that. But besides that, you know, this budget thing got passed. So I'm just going to sit here and just 
listen to the space. So thank you for letting me speak. Well, thank you for coming up and thank you for sharing that. And I get that feeling. And sometimes, you know, just um, pull back, step away for however long you need, uh, because self-care is important. This app is going to be here until it's not, you know, and um, you'll keep doing the work. But uh, the election is you know, over a year away, it's, I mean, we're talking about it, we're, we're strategizing and, and doing work and preparing for that, but it is still certainly time for people to, to rest and replenish. We don't have to go full force all the way in every day, all day at this point, especially, you know, battling with people who are just, you know, chaos uh, agents or contrarians. It's, it's so, uh, draining and you don't have to spend your energy that way, you know, so do what you need to protect yourself. I would say don't deactivate your account, but, you know, take a break for as long as you need to for you and get involved in the conversations that you want to and hold the spaces when you want to, you know, um, because, um, I think your voice is important. I think it is needed. But I also understand the importance of um, self-care and uh, the inability to give truly of yourself when you're depleted, you know, when you feel beat up on and drained, you know. So take care of yourself, sweetie. I'm so glad you joined tonight. All right. So up next, we've got Joseph. Hello, Ms. D. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Because I have taken a break. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been around much this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm, I'm, I was kind of laughing to myself. I'm glad that, that Shantae went first because uh, I was scrambling to get out of my office because everybody wa was leaving. And I was like, oh, I hope I was hoping that you wouldn't call on me while I was uh, uh, shuffling my, uh, my papers and my laptop around. So... Uh, <laughs> So now I'm in a good spot. Um, Divine timing. Yes, yes. Uh, so a couple things I want to talk about. Uh, first, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the debt ceiling bill. Um, you know, my both of my senators uh, voted in favor of it, and my congressmen voted for it. So I was uh, very happy about that. But I was very disappointed at how many Democrats from California voted against it. Um, it, it was very disappointing. Um, in my county, you know, Orange County, that some of you, you know, see me talk about a lot. We've got a total of six reps that cover the county and four, four Democrats, two Republicans. And the two Republicans, Michelle Steele and Young Kim, voted for the bill and the only person from our county to vote against it was Katie Porter. And that was, that really, really made me mad because she has been, since she has been in Congress, she has touted herself as somebody that I, you know, that she's the, the one for, you know, working class people, you know, she touts the fact that she's a single mom that, you know, she feels that she can identify with other single moms well, how would crashing the economy and risking double-digit unemployment help working-class Americans? 
So that that was, you know, to me, I, I was really mad because, and I know, Ms. D, you know this, that I was very worried for quite a while, and I even put it on my timeline, how worried I was because I felt like my retirement money was hanging in the balance, and I'm like pretty much everybody in this room, our futures were hanging in this balance, and the other night was not the night for for purity politics. So I, I'm very disappointed with the Democrats from California that voted uh, against it. And in the case of Katie Porter, I think she sunk her Senate campaign right then and there. Um, a lot of people aren't going to forget that very easily. I mean, how close we came to really having probably the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression and uh and they chose to to play purity politics. Um, I'm not going to forget that come next year. So uh, that's all I wanted to say about that. The next uh, topic that I wanted to talk about uh, has to do with the uh, some of the info that I sent you earlier in the week, Ms. D. Um, uh, you know, I won't be able to join your space on Monday because I will be traveling, but I'm going to be in the Lake Tahoe region. Um, and I'm going to be mostly on the Nevada side. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how important Nevada is going to be next year at multiple levels. Um, definitely at the presidential uh, level, um, it has not voted for a Republican in a presidential race since 2004. Um, but it is very much a purple state. The current governor and lieutenant governor are Republicans. But the legislature is controlled by Democrats. And as a matter of fact, I read the other night, the Democrats have a super majority in the state assembly. So it's very much a purple state. Now, it's got four congressional districts, uh, three of which are currently held by Democrats, uh, Dina Titus, Susie Lee and Stephen Horsford. Um, All three of them had very tight races in 2022. So I'm probably going to be invested in those races uh, like I was in 2022. I wasn't expecting to be for 2024, but since the 2022 races were so close, I'm going to need to spend uh, a little bit of time uh, in there. Fortunately, all three of those districts contain portions of the Las Vegas metro area, which is a pretty blue area overall. So that kind of offsets Republican votes in, um, especially in the case of Susie Lee and Stephen Horsford, where they have more rural areas, which definitely rural Nevada is very, um, is very red. And uh, where I'm going to be on vacation in Nevada's second congressional district, that is the only Republican district in Nevada. It encompasses all of northern Nevada. So unfortunately, the the blue votes that one finds around Reno are kind of offset by the Republican votes in all of the rural areas in the rest of the the district. Um, It's I think it's a pretty solidly Republican district overall. But if we can keep those three uh, other districts in Nevada, I think it will help us uh, get on the path to, you know, getting back. Uh, the house. And then my, my final point I wanted to mention about Nevada is that the road to hanging on to the Senate runs through Nevada. Um, Jackie Rosen is up for reelection next year. Uh, invest last year, Mesto's race much closer than 
expected them. But fortunately, uh, sane Democrats are now in charge of the state Democratic Party. Um, for a couple of years, it was taken over by Democratic Socialists, and they basically threw Catherine Cortez Masto to the wolves last year. And uh, if the culinary union hadn't stepped in, um, Adam Laxalt probably would have won. So uh, if we want, have any hope of hanging on to the Senate, we have to hang on to Nevada. So I will definitely be uh, invested in Jackie Rosen's race uh, next year. So that's all I uh, had to say for now. I might be posting things on the timeline next week about Nevada uh, while I'm there. Uh, just to kind of get everybody thinking. But yeah, um, it's my neighbor. I care a lot about what goes on there. I followed Nevada politics for over two decades. So uh, yeah, the Silver State is very important to me. So that's all I have to say. Thank you so much for your time, Ms. D. I really appreciate you. Well, oh, and we hi appreciate... Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. Hi, Ngazi. I forgot to say hi. <laughs> Well, thank you, Joseph. We appreciate you coming and sharing and um, updating us. And I think it's great that you're going to, you know, kind of be able to have more of an inside uh, look. Uh, and it is a very important state. It has been for some time. So um, I, uh, I'm i glad uh, that you're going to be taking a look at that and updating us um, on what it looks like so that we can see um, what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and, you know, what we need to get better at. So uh, appreciate that and look forward to more um, as the uh, months go by. And up next, we have Mickey. I'm so glad that you came up uh, tonight. I hope you're doing well. Look forward to hearing from her. And I did put a few of the things up in the um, the nest and the jumbotron that I was uh, mentioning earlier. And I know Mark is going to be joining us uh, later. So looking forward to that. And Queen V who I interviewed and that's the interview I need to, to find is not going to be able to be here tonight. Uh, she may be able to stop in and listen, but she won't be available for a full Q and a because she has, um, an ill family member that she's helping to take care of, but there's so many things for us to talk about and share. I didn't want to miss the opportunity to um, have conversation with you guys tonight. So thank you for being here. Um, and don't be shy. Come on up and, and join us in the conversation. And I thank you if you have, um, you know, joined us already, please share and retweet it. Hi, and, uh, Hey, um, I, I, Probably I'm in a similar uh, thought on the debt ceiling uh, votes that Shantizi and Joseph are in. Uh, I'm in California, um, uh, kind of west side, which leans very, very progressive. Um, a lot of team, uh, Bernie team, uh, Warren, on in my neck of the woods. But, um, you know, my newly elected congressperson voted uh, against it. And, um, but I, I can't say I'm surprised, a bit perturbed, um, just because 
and I understand the argument of there being room for a protest vote because they only needed a certain number of votes to pass. But it, it's just like, you know, can we not play games? I mean, this is, you know, it's as bad as the Republicans playing games with the debt ceiling. And to, if anything, if there had been a miscalculation and something had happened, then, um, you know, we would have had to, uh, you know, pull out the 14th Amendment. And with our current Supreme Court, God only knows what that would have, you know, landed us. And it, it's just, it wasn't worth the risk. It really wasn't. So, uh, right. I mean, it's just, you're talking about people. And like I said, I would have been affected in um, multiple ways um, by, you know, the extreme things that they wanted to do. Uh, mm -hmm. And I know that everyone in the country would have in some way, but, you know, I'm a veteran and I'm on social security. <laughs> okay. So um, it would have been devastating. And to know that they were able to negotiate with people who were absolutely willing to allow that to happen uh, to me is a win. And it's it's worth celebrating, but it is frustrating that some people, um, you know, feel the need to um, perform to the extent of their, you know, what what it is that they want, um, that they're willing to risk um, the lives of the many, you know. But I feel like in this way, there's still many of them were just, you know, making that performative mark because I do feel I, I'd like to think this, that they would not have uh, stuck to their guns and sent the country over the edge. Now, you know, I know that they did that with the, the infrastructure bill, so I don't know, but it is frustrating. But other than, go yeah. ahead. I mean, I have people who um, I know and they're like, oh, we're doing a fundraiser for um, uh representative um uh Ilyan omar and i'm like i don't and i just told people that i said it plain and i said it clear i am not giving my money to people who do not loudly and vociferously support the biden harris administration period full stop put it in writing when the person texted me so um you know i i can't with them um i am gonna go listen to the political club I belong to is uh, Barbara Lee is going to speak tomorrow and I am going to go listen. So I'm, I'm in listening mode. I, I still, I, I, I think it's a tough climb for her, quite frankly. Um, she too voted no. Um, so on the debt ceiling. So I, it's, it's going to be an interesting conversation uh, as to what happens with her candidacy. I, I did go spend a little bit of time uh, last weekend text banking, uh, which the California Dems had this fantastic text bank app. You could hit that button and text would go out. It was sweet and fast. I was like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. So um, I was there texting uh Obviously, you know, I'm trying to reach out to a couple of friends. It's been a busy week to figure out what the download was. Supposedly, you know, there's just a lot of battle within within the Dems between the progressives and 
and just I will say, um, as some people might say, normie dims. Uh, it, it's just a lot, and um, yeah, you know, and it, it's, it's been going on for a long time, and it will continue. And I guess the frustration is, as I keep you know continuing to say, is that. The fact of the matter is that Democrats are progressive, <laughs> okay, and the way that they are going about, um, you know, demanding the things that they want, it's very harmful to our democracy as a whole. And the fact that they don't get it or they don't care, I'm not sure, because I think there's some that fall in both camps. I see them as a danger, so it is very frustrating. But at the same time, uh, sometimes when the bodies are there, you need to use the ones that are there and, uh, you know, try to speak to them and reason and, and rationalize with them as, as best you can. Um, and I feel like that's where we are with some of them, you know, and just know the ones that that we can't, you know, and be willing to, you know, like uh, push them over the edge before they drag us over. Oh, I think, you know, it's definitely um, going to be very, very interesting this election cycle uh, about who uh, who's running who um, has a realistic chance. I mean, I, someone posted uh, here, I don't know if you know, the baseball player Steve Garvey might run as a Republican. So now, you know, that's the, every, the Republicans' new favorite trick is to, you know, run a sports star. Um, well, how's that worked out for them? I mean, but it's not, you know, beyond them to keep trying, you know, things that don't work. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a, not a fan. I do believe that what you're saying is it, I mean, we've got the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, like the, the mansions and um, issue where, you know, he's got a really big, you know, grouping of very conservative Republican voters and he has to kind of fall out of line, even though I despise and hate the things he chooses to fall out of line on. Um, you know, part of me gets it. Um, we kind of have the same problem here on the left. So it, it's, it's very interesting. Um, like I, a little bit of what I heard is, um, you know, there was supposed to be a dinner honoring Nancy Pelosi and, the progressives didn't want it to honor her. So they kind of picked up and um, did their own dinner. And so the other dinner was not as full as it should have been because there was this competing. What? Event, you know, to, you know <laughs> I mean, that is just, see, now that's just unnecessary. That's, that's <laughs> I, I heard, 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 because, you know, I've been asked to be a delegate and I'm like, let me go look and see what this is about before I, because I'm really, let me see what they doing over here. <laughs> right. Because I don't like to waste my time and I don't have a, I'm not, you know, because I'm on social media, I'm politically correct. In public, 
you know, in person, I'm not always so politically correct. So me, I, you know, I'm like, I ain't got time for this foolishness. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I heard that you got to be free to be you some, at some point, someplace. So, (laughs) right. So I, you know, I went to observe and I just couldn't even, I was going to go observe the black caucus and that was just, it just didn't happen because that was not the most organized thing and the progressive caucus they just overwhelmed the space we were in so it was just kind of interesting it was a very interesting so if you ever get a chance at least go observe if you can you know right i mean because we cannot ignore them as as um irritating as they can be um some of them are already in office in places and it's important to to use them when and where we can. And for some of those young ones, like the Justins here, they're mm-hmm. progressive, okay? Right. But they were speaking truth, you know? And the fact of the matter is they were never going to have enough power to change anything, but they could certainly inject uh, truth and facts into the conversation and at least have it resonate there. And hopefully, because I feel like they were embraced by a lot of sane Democrats, um, that some of these progressives, again, like I said, Democrats are progressive. So I feel like the disconnect is that they have been hijacked in their thinking and understanding of how you know governing works because of some of the leaders and you know the rhetoric that they were spewing like you know you just march up there and demand it and it happens you know and you know even though they've been sitting up there for you know, I don't know how long and you know what have they demanded and just snapped their fingers and got but they have managed to fool a whole um group um, of young people, that this is how it works. And some of them, they fool them and inspire them to run for office. And I always think it's a good thing for uh, young people to be civically engaged and involved, that they need to be informed and working from, you know, a place of, you know, well-informed, you know, being well-informed. And um, Bernie and Liz and some of those folks have absolutely, you know, screwed their thoughts uh <laughs> yes i definitely um it was interesting maxwell frost was there i did see him he was in the room with the with the text banking and and kind of uh talking he did an intro speech i had to step out for a second uh but it you know he did vote uh yes so i was happy to see that because you can get turned around um a little bit and and these them their circles but uh interesting experience you know i would encourage if you get a chance to at least go observe some parts of of a you know a democratic uh caucus or convention you know kind of kind of go go check it out and and uh see the, the little bit i saw was 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 interesting Well, thank you. And I do feel that that is something that would be beneficial 
to individuals to do. In any case, just go and get involved um, somewhere at some point in any portion um, of your um, local government, you know, school boards, county commissions, um, the local races, they all have meetings and things. Uh, get involved uh, because it is going to take all of us. And people, uh, as I said, first of all, need to be working from a base of knowledge, you know, correct knowledge, because there are certainly so many uh, things, uh, false narratives and, you know, misinformation and disinformation floating around. So, but thank you, my dear. I'm so glad you joined us tonight. And I'm so glad that Tiff has popped in to join us. And she has uh, had some great threads on the debt uh, and uh, some, some other things that I have uh, seen when I have bounced back onto this app. And it's always good to be able to uh, find certain individuals uh, that you can look to to kind of catch up with what's going on and uh, know that you're getting the right information. And you don't have to dig too much further. So thanks for being here, Tiff. Um, you're up next. <laughs> hello, hello. Happy Friday, everyone. Yes. It's Friday. We made it Turn to it June. Turn it up. I can't I believe we made it to June. <laughs> I Hallelujah. It's, June <laughs> it's insane. It was like just January. What the heck has happened? I know. Time is flying. Yes. It sure is. Um, yeah, I'm very happy that we finally over this um, debt ceiling craziness. Um, it's been, you know, this is something that I have been paying attention to, like most people that are into politics since even before the election. Like we were warning people that this was coming up. It's going to happen in the summer. And, you know, obviously, initially they thought it was going to be like, I think Yellen said July. And then she moved, <laughs> moved it up to June. So we are, we, you know, there was a little bit of a scramble to try to figure out, okay, how much money do we have and we're, we're, how quickly do we need to get this done? Joseph, you're on, you're not on mute, honey. Joseph. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, we, we kind of, we've been, we've been anticipating this, seeing what's happened. Um, I knew this was going to be something Kevin McCarthy was going to lose because he's not a great speaker. He's kind of just a placeholder and he's there. Um, 15 votes he took to get him there. So, you know, he, he is, a, he, I will give him a little bit of credit. He has been around. He used to be the whip of the Republican House, right? I mean, when they had power, like real power, he was, he was the whip. So he knows how to legislate. He knows how to broker deals. He's not, he's not as idiotic as, as many may think he is. He sounds foolish, but he really, he really isn't that stupid. And he knew exactly what he was doing in terms of going to the media. He knows he has a crazy caucus that he has to, to manage and kind of, appease them but he also knew that he needed democrats to help him out with this right i mean this was this was a given so in order to get and democrats, i love how they waited till the last minute to bring their votes over yeah i mean listen you gotta play the game i mean this is at the end of the day i know this is our economy and i understand but there is a political game that is being played right i mean we it, it happens on both sides we can see it for what it is Biden, he kind of sat back and he kind of just let it 
you know, let it let it play out. The Republicans were running to the media. Jake Sherman and Manu were like stenographers for two whole weeks, just jotting down everything that McCarthy was saying and what the what these what these Republicans were saying. But and and in, and and if you looked at it on the opposite side, Democrats were pretty quiet. And every time they would talk, I would be like, "Shut up! You're not understanding the game. The game is to let them sink themselves while we just stay steady." I get you're freaking out, but you got to learn to play. Do not give the media anything to, you know, to, to, to give them any ammunition to turn this around on Democrats. This is really a, a Republican hostage-taking situation, and we're just trying to get out of it unscathed, right? And that's what Biden's goal was, to get out of this as unscathed as possible, and keep intact what he had or what we had already passed and what is already in place. And I think he did a great job. Props to Shalonda Young, who was on the team, who is the um, the budget director. Um, she's amazing. And she she actually earned Lindsey Graham loves her. I don't uh, Lindsey Graham doesn't like very many people. But even from the time that she was, you know, um, confirmed, he has always liked her. I'm assuming she she seems like she has a really good like personality and she's a smart woman. And so the fact that she was in that room along with Steve Rochetti trying to broker this deal made me feel good. I forget the other woman. I think they like her because she know her shit. Exactly. (laughs) And that's the thing. You, you know, your shit. People can't, people can't, you know, they can't come back to you and, and, and they can't, they can't pull one over on you. Right. If you listen to what the Republicans were saying or are saying, and even Kevin, he said the Biden team is super smart. You know, they were tough when they needed to be. And, you know, they they held to what they to their principles and what they believe in. Right. Biden was willing to compromise on some things and he was not willing to compromise on others. And I think when you look at the polling and if you look at what we, you know, what, what, what people were saying this past week in the YouGov poll is that people want compromise. There is a middle of the, the, the electorate. There's the middle of the electorate. Then there's the fringes of the electorate, right? And those It's called people, pragmatism, okay? Exactly. And we're all pragmatic. I, there, I am willing to compromise on certain things. I'm not willing to compromise on others. If you're going to cause harm to people, then you then you're, you're we're, we're gonna have a problem, right? And so you know, Shalanda and and Steve Rashetti said, well, if we're gonna give you fifty to fifty four, then you're gonna have to start adding some people. And so they added veterans and they added people that are homeless and foster kids aged twenty eighteen to twenty four, and that was the give, right? That is a that is a true compromise. And in the end, we're gonna end up spending. We're spending more money on SNAP than we did before. People are like, well, people are going to lose coverage. Okay, those people who are 50 to 54, guess what? They are still eligible. They have to go to work and do the requirements like everyone else who's 18 to 49. Is that fair? No, but life is not fair. And so, but they're going to have grants to try to, that they will have access to. To yeah. work around those. And some states don't even like enforce those things. So it's going to be hit or miss, right? Listen, is it unfair that people, you know, listen, gosh, we can go all the way back to Clinton when they put these work requirements in, right? There was so much drama. I remember my my aunt's um, sister-in-law, she, she, she didn't work. She was on welfare. You know, she was sitting at home. 
um, not to be the stereotype, but that's what she was doing, right? And she knew she could collect her welfare. And then, then Pillington said, hey, you got to go to work. And she went to work and she... And she ended up working um, at a school and she's a, she has a successful career now. Right. It pushed her to get out. Is 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 that is, I don't that's OK to me. I don't know. I'm I'm pra, I'm a pragmatist and I feel like, OK, I'm not I'm not so um, I'm not in the, the business of purity to be like, OK, well, you know, people are not, people shouldn't have to work to get benefits. There's nothing in this life that is for freaking free. OK. So you're going to have to do something. We all pay for Medicare. We all pay for Social Security. That comes out of our checks every freaking week. Is There is nothing that is for free, right? And so I just feel like people need to take a step back. And that's what progressives drive me crazy. And Republicans just want to do, like the far right Republicans, they want to do as much harm as possible. They're, they're talking about that they care about the debt and the debt ceiling. And I'm just like, no, you don't. You can't, what you care about is actually harming people. This, they're, and, they're, and holding on to those taxes. And they're willing yeah. to let people die to yeah, be able willing, to do it to, and starve. Yeah. And meanwhile, you're sitting pretty and you're collecting welfare from us for doing a job that you get, you know, that obviously you get paid for. But let's be honest, they ain't working that hard, okay? Um, some do, some don't. So I'm just tired of the, the nonsense. And I think this deal will actually, in the end, probably be one of Biden's biggest accomplishments because people will finally see that this was what he promised. He promised that he would work with Republicans, right? This is what he said. He, this was one of the many talking points that he had during the campaign. And he didn't lie. We have many bipartisan partisan bills that have been passed gun safety postal reform um we have the infrastructure deal we now have a two-year budget don't have to deal don't have to think about a budget for two years don't what have a win what a win until after the election i mean we have a lot of things that we have gotten accomplished and that is a testament to biden being able to have those conversations behind closed doors and as I said in my post earlier you know Joe Manchin and Chris Sinema were in an article and listen I don't I don't care about those people but what they said was true this was really about the censor and and making those people that are the loudest voices out there a minority they are the minority of our party the 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 far left the lefties or whatever you call them communists socialists whatever you want to call them they are the outside of our party. The, the crazy Marjorie Taylor Greens and all those people, those are the outside of the Republican Party. We have to figure out how to talk to the people in because the, the average person that is, that, is, that is at home and does not follow politics just wants shit done. They don't care about any of this, uh, this showmanship or gamesmanship or any of that stuff. They just want to know that they're going to be okay. And we have to make life better for them. And I think that's what Biden was trying to convey in his speech this evening. Like, we're trying to do the best that we can to help as many people as possible. And this is how we get there. And um, I also said in my post, too, about Build Back Better. We, the, the leftists, and when I say leftists, I mean, like, Jayapal and that asshole Ro Khanna and a couple other people who were involved. He, in is, he is just doing the most. I to, he I needs to, to send him sit my post down. I have to send him a post, by the way, tonight, um, just because he gets on my nerve about judges. Um, but 
anyways, that he they were so they were running to the media to kind of give information. And I think Biden's team and himself learned a lesson from that, that keep keep it close to your chest. Like, don't go out there giving the media all this information. That was a nightmare. Bill Bag Better was months and months and months of a nightmare situation that ended up not even being passed. Why? Because Kristen's people were going talking about Kristen Cinema, people talking about Mansion, they were going back and forth. Like it was so unnecessary and it used to drive me crazy. So I am actually happy that Biden did not go out there. His team didn't go out there. There wasn't a lot of social media on it. It was kind of like, okay. It was more of responses to things that Republicans were saying. And even Biden himself, he had a press conference and he talked, you know, talked through it. But I feel like we were at we're in a different a different spot in terms of of learning things. Right. We need to listen. I think that article talked about, you know, that Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema were giving, you know, they were helping to broker some of that, that information. Joe, Joe Manchin gave a suggestion on the budget. Like we need to start listening to people. Um, not only people that we like, but also people that we may not like and try to hear what they're saying and try to come to a, a conclusion and a solution. And that's what Biden did. The one thing that most people say about Biden is that he's a really, really good listener. And so he was listening and taking taking notes on everything that people were saying and, you know, his team executed and kudos to them. And I'm really proud of this administration. Did everybody get what they wanted? No, but this is life when nobody gets everything that they want. And sometimes you gain something, sometimes you lose something. But the biggest issue that I have is if you don't like this bill and you are pissed about it, then you better work your ass off in 2024 to get back that house. I don't want to hear it. Because if you don't like the way things are... Boom, there if, it is. Yeah, if you don't... The reason we're in this position is because we lost the house. Had we... I mean, we still would have needed Republicans, at least 10 Republicans, to be able to come, you know, to come to the table on, on budget. But we would have had a more than likely had the debt ceiling figured out if we had won the house because Mitch McConnell probably would have agreed to do a clean debt ceiling. He kind of left that to Kevin and was like, okay, well, you figure that out and let me know what you want to do. So losing the house was a really big deal. Did we get, yeah. did we get blown power. out? No, the we less... didn't get, I mean, there wasn't a red wave like we thought, but I mean, so that kind of lessened the blow. But we still giving them the power, giving Kevin the power on what can come to the floor versus what cannot come to the floor makes a difference. And so people complaining, oh, I can't believe we're in this. I can't believe Kevin did this and he took it hostage. Yeah, well, we allowed him to do that because we didn't fucking vote. Hello. I mean, we did, but I'm just saying people didn't right. vote. They the less took power, it for granted. The yeah, less they, power you have, the more you have to bend in negotiations. Exactly. You, We ceded our power to the Republicans, and then we had to figure out how to do the least amount of harm um, considering considering where we were. So, I, like I said, I'm proud of the things that the Democrats have accomplished. There's, we have a, we have a year, another year and a half of of this, you know, Republican House that we have to deal with, and you know, at least a couple of things are have gotten out of the way. And student loans. Listen, I know uh, I don't understand. Joy Reid is so weird. She 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 said, "Well, Biden didn't address student. Hello, <laughs> student loans are with are with." the Supreme Court. We will know by the and end I of the month. And I bet hers are paid off. So why I'm is she sure. keep... 
Girl, I don't know. Like the, 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 this is what I'm talking about. This stuff is crazy. Like student loans is it's the same policy Biden had before. Do, do people even know that uh, what Republicans were proposing and what they got is not even close. They're like not even in the in the same like in the same realm. Republicans wanted to to stop any cancellation of student loans. They wanted to put work requirements on pretty much everything. They wanted to take $80 billion from the IRS and we, we agreed to move $20 billion and put it somewhere else if, you know, at some point right. um, between the next two years, $10 billion per year. Like, there is a lot of things. When you think about what catastrophically could have happened to our economy and where we, and where we landed, shit, I'm going to celebrate that. I'm Hello. Thank I'm you. celebrate that. I listen. I'll take sm- small wins are better than no wins, and I'm a half half glass full kind of girl, and I will take take it and enjoy it. And then tomorrow, I'll be talking about something else. But today, today it was okay. We accomplished something, and we're gonna be happy about it. And then we're gonna move on to whatever and keep it moving. So I'll land there. But thanks for letting me speak, D, and hope everyone has a great weekend. Well, thank you so much for your impassioned, um, you know, contribution, because, you know, you were absolutely on target. And I, too, will take it as a win because he had a lot of things to navigate. And anyone who thinks that he could have just demanded and, and had a stalemate and anyone come out a winner in that is stupid, you know, so uh, a deal had to be made. And I feel like that he did the best to provide um, safety nets for the most vulnerable. And even, like I said, some other wins. So, you know, he negotiated to the point that uh, they don't have to do this again. <laughs> you know, um, So I feel like we had a lot of wins and it's important because the struggle before us is real. It's tough. And it's long. It's ongoing. And when you have that kind of battle, you have to celebrate the wins. It's important for us to stop and breathe and celebrate because the fight, the struggle continues. And uh, I feel like these wins give us, uh, you know, help put a little sail, uh, a little wind in our sails to help us uh, continue with the battles that we still are facing. So thank you so much for putting it in great perspective uh, tip and you've had some great uh, threads and tweets so thank you for continuing to do the work and to you know smash the different uh, disinformation <laughs> uh, sphere out there and I hope you and Dallas and the rest of the gang have a great weekend <laughs> all right so up next we've got Renee I'm so glad to have you here and then we have a couple of new speakers um, Nathan and um, the um, the queen is over it. Okay. So hello, Renee. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How you doing? Um, I and I know Mark is gonna talk about the uh the cases, these cases, these Trump cases. Yes, I just loved him. Uh, so so I'm not gonna get into that too much. Um but I do wanna, I mean, he'll talk about the the cases, but um, obviously I am still tracking them myself. So this, this case with, well, we um, need that Renee flavor yeah, and I'm twist give it on a little them. Flavor. Um, but the, you know, the case, obviously the documents cases will be heating up and it seems like, um, 
Jack's team is leaking like daily at this point. And so, you know, I said to Mark a couple of days ago that it seems like, you know, the information that we're getting, um, Jack Smith is like way ahead of us. You know, these are things that he has known about for some time and that what's trickling out now is kind of like old to them, but new to us. And so I just wonder how ready he is um, to, to move forward with an indictment. I was trying to take a break from Twitter and come back before the, you know, when he was indicted again. But I think it's it may be every time sooner. I try to walk yeah. away. <laughs> I think it might be sooner uh, rather than later. So and I hope so, because I want to get a nice little break. Stop putting your hand. <laughs> Stop putting the thumb down, Mark. Um, I want to get a break in between Fonnie Willis and, and this next indictment. So I'm going to need uh, I'm going to need Jack to hurry up. Um, but what's coming out is really fascinating. And actually this morning, uh, Mark sent me, uh, an article. Well, actually it's a, a document that, um, good law and Joyce Vance and like several other people put together. It's like this, I don't know, it's like seven or eight lawyers got together and they worked on basically like a, a pre kind of like brief or a memo or whatever, um, kind of explaining everything that's going on and you know it's similar to what jack smith is preparing to give to merrick garland but they are breaking it down for people like us who kind of you know need to understand all the charges and need to understand that it goes far beyond it doesn't matter if trump classified or declassified anything i mean that's a detail in this but it's the problem is is that the 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 information that he mishandled um intentionally over and over again, you know, was very sensitive. And it, and those are that's those are documents that don't belong to him. So regardless of wh- whether or not he thinks he could take it, all of that is, is completely moot, which is why his case is very different from Joe Biden. And it's different from Pence because he didn't cooperate. And so um, media has actually stepped up. You know, they've really stepped up in the last week, at least, in kind of pushing back on this narrative. Um, Abby Phillips, who, you know, has disappointed me in the past, and <laughs> so I don't watch her as much anymore, but she did a really good job. Um, you know, I don't watch CNN either, but she did a really good job, her, and I think Caitlin actually did a really good job pushing back on Jim Trusty, who is actually a respected attorney who used to work with Jack Smith back in the day. So I, I'm actually looking at at Jim Trusty wondering how long he's going to remain on the, the legal team because Trump's lawyers are fighting. Jim Trusty and I, and and the other attorney, I think it's Palatori, right before he quit, you know, they were basically going up against, you know, Epstein and a couple of other knuckleheads, Takapina. It's like the knuckleheads that are on the legal team are fighting against the, the competent lawyers and Trump is siding with the knuckleheads because they do whatever he tells them to do. And um, Jim Trusty was basically trying to tell Trump, like, listen, tell us where all the documents are so that we can really truly submit them, <laughs> you know, so that it won't look like you intentionally held on to these documents because it already looks bad that you have them. But at least we can make the argument because it's going to be the only defense that he has that it wasn't intentional like, Come on, and man. that it was a mistake. <laughs> and, and Epstein and others got involved and they blocked that from happening. 
So the very thing, it's like he has he has no defense. And that's what I'm saying. At this point, what we've learned is already incriminating and damning. So if we're way behind, like if we're a month or two behind Jack, you know, in terms of, of discovery and understanding, I mean, just just imagine. So. I don't know. It's going to be interesting uh, to see kind of what happens and what rolls out. And I'm ready for him to get indicted again. Um, I think it's time. <laughs> I think we need another indictment. This is going to be the summer of indictments for him. And, you know, this all of this stuff is necessary for our country to celebration, I mean, celebration, <laughs> but it's, it's necessary for us to continue to move forward and for um, us to continue to kind of combat all of the bull that's that's coming out and tip was just saying you know you have to continue to push back against media narratives regardless of what what media is pushing it because we're still very much fighting this overall machine of like the moment that anybody on the right does something even remotely sane, they are praised for it. But here you got Joe Biden, you know, who just made, you know, the deal of the century and people like Stephen Smith and other people are still tweeting that he's too old to be doing his job. It's like, it's, it's bonkers. People are out here like being crazy or that girl from the other day who was complaining, you know, about her student loans not being paid and not even understanding, you know, what the state of, of the loans and where they it's just it's it's insanity. But the minute that one thing goes, you know, seems to go sanely, you know, Kevin McCarthy doesn't act like a complete fool you know one day so that the bill can pass people are like oh am i gonna have to thank kevin mccarthy for like being halfway saying no i mean do you think a bank robber for like not shooting you while he's robbing the bank like does that make any sense people are ridiculous and what they let i mean it's kind of like with pence you know not agreeing to you know um give trump you know the, the trans stop the transition of power no he did his job he don't get a cookie exactly for that. but people love to they love to pass that pass out those cookies so that really just infuriates me um what i wanted to say though and then i then i'll move back to listener is um i was watching i kind of stay clear of the whole duggar family you know drama because it's just that their, their family is insane but they have a documentary on prime right now i don't know who has prime it's a four-part docuseries on their family it's called um shiny happy people and it talks about their family a little bit but what it gets into is the cult that they were basically associated with the religious cult and then they they tie the religious cult to um this founder who is actually under investigation right now i think he's been charged with uh with the sexual abuse of course because they all are um and i forget his name right now but uh, one of the trainings like he he runs this center and has this whole ideology but one of the training centers that he ran forever um produced all these like they would basically indoctrinate these kids they would teach them civics classes they would take trips with them to washington dc they would basically indoctrinate them wanting them to be politically involved politically astute so that these these ideas like pushing back against the lgbtq community and like roe versus wade all of that stuff was like embedded in them and one one of the um the graduates quote unquote of said training institution that they're the most proud of you want to know who it is madison cawthorn so why are we not they, surprised so they 
He was a part of their training center years and years ago, and he made it all the way to Congress. Now, yeah, Republicans eventually got rid of him, but that that that's who's showing up. That's that's the wacky folks that are showing up that are on these parental boards that are causing all of a ruckus that are making their way into our national government. And people need to understand that this is why I pay attention to cult behavior because people like to think that cults are extreme and like they're not tied to our daily lives. It's all bullshit because we are swimming in it and it is all around us. And it is, it is infecting our government so all of this stuff that you thank guys you are so seeing, much for bringing attention to all, that. Yes, Renee. all of this Lord stuff that mercy. you guys are seeing again in the connection to people saying groomers. And the crazy thing is, it's all projection because the stuff that they're claiming projection that excuse me, the stuff that they're claiming that the trans community and that the LGBT community, Q community, and all of these other communities are doing, they are doing themselves within their own cults and their own quote unquote churches. So it's all projection. But they are, and even Roe versus Wade, I mean, these people use, these people get abortions when they impregnate these children, okay? So it is, it is insane, but they are infecting our government and trying to tell other people how to live. And so we've got to, we've got to draw because the Republican Party for the large part of it has become a cult. So understanding the behavior patterns and understanding how they work in, in conjunction with one another is very, very important because with social media, these people are on TikTok. These people are, they are trying to normalize this speech. As we have seen this, this app, you know, like I have seen so many over the last month, I have seen so many sexist tweets from these like hyper religious men and sometimes women and you're like where is this coming from like this stuff is all connected so I just I just wanted to bring that up because I'm always the one who kind of talks about the cult aspect of Trump and Trumpism and there is a reason for that it's not just me like wandering off into my own interests I see the correlation and like I said I just think cults are just one of those things that people like to put in the back of their mind like oh it's not it's, it's not affecting our daily but it really is and we've got to understand how these people are are reaching our government and how they are I mean the goal of this training center was to get politicians in office and to get judges on the courts and hello it's happening. So it's not just the people like Harlan Crow that you got to watch out for. It's these nuts and these, this cult because the, the culture of the cult itself is very patriarchal. It's very sexist. And it, 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 it teaches these people to submit. And so that's the mentality that we're dealing with and that we're up against. And that's why these people are so resistant to change and to um, to anything, you know, that that represents diversity or challenging, challenging authority or challenging, you know, thought in any sort of way, whatever. I just wanted to drop that. If you guys have an opportunity to watch that docuseries, you really should. It's not even that long. But the third episode in particular is the one that 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 kind of covers their interest in politics. And it's it's fascinating. So thank you for letting me offer that. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I am glad and I apologize for interrupting, but you were uh, dinging in on something that I absolutely um, believe. And I am glad that uh, you bring it up 
because the, the cults are also tied in and interwoven into some of these front groups and the behavior uh, that they push, because many of these front groups like uh, Moms for Liberty and, you know, I've tied them to the United Daughters of the Confederacy, you know, they absolutely had catechisms that they had these uh, children recite to literally indoctrinate them. And I have been digging into um, these organizations and their behavior and the connections, and they are all connected as we need to focus on, you know, some of these individuals that um, maybe go um, unnoticed so to speak, and then pull back and look at the strings that are, who who's pulling their strings and how they're being funded. And I am glad that you talked about the training because what I am discovering in my dark money search is they absolutely have a ton of institutes. One of them is called the Leadership Institute. So these people aren't just popping up with these great ideas and these fancy notions and this, you know, authentic rhetoric. They are being trained to do this. They have institutions. And I'll tell you who is also a part of them. And I want you guys to start digging and looking. I'm, I'm going to be posting some things about it. But keep your eye on that Turning Point USA. They have a charter school network. And as I was digging, turns out that their particular focus is alternative schools. Okay? And they, too, have an institute where they are training these people to then go to these their their network and train them. And the indoctrination, folks, is real. This is why Moms for Liberty and these organizations like this, their push to grab hold of our children and our education is nothing but an indoctrination. And you want to know the funny part about it is they know it. They know it because it worked. It worked. The United Daughters of the Confederacy had a hundred uh, and a half years to do their work. And the work that they did, now they haven't been active for a long time, but the work that they did early on lasted this long. It was only in 1972 that one of the books that was written by... Um, Phyllis Rutherford of the United Daughters of Confederacy, who wrote most of these um, textbooks and things that um, um, children of my generation and younger were brought up on. And it's the whole um, uh, lost cause ideology, which also is uh, filled with religious indoctrination. So it's all intertwined. So I'm so glad that you mentioned both of those things. And I know Nathan and uh, the uh, queen have come up, but I am going to change the order a bit because I do have Mark here and I have been waiting on him. And Mark is our resident legal analyst and um, he ha had DM'd me and I do want to get his update and then I will pick back up on the order after that. So thank you guys so much. Appreciate your patience um, and I hope you don't leave us, but um, I had promised him some time and I'm looking forward to it. So Mark, you have the floor. Hey, thank you, Dee, and thank you everybody else. Um, Renee, thank you. I know you, 
you nudged me into this space and like uh you know i i I read a whole, I read 180 pages and like I had a summary for y'all. Uh, what we can expect from, or what we're looking at with the Donald Trump stuff. So from, um, if you saw um, either my retweet, D's or Renee's, there's been a, a few folks that have worked for the Department of Justice that have like uh, done some work on a model indictment for Donald Trump. And like, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. So like you know, nobody can say they're better than that. But I try. I when I read it, I, I tried to summarize it, um, and I'll, I hope I do a good job. And like I'm, it's going to be brief, actually, because there's like actually you know, there's six crimes you can be charged with, but it's actually really quick. Um. So, um, here's the thing, right? Um. And I, I I've gone back and forth with Renee about this and everything like that. Jack Trump is trying to make the perfect case. And, you know, we can argue about whether that's a good strategy or not, but he's he's putting it together as best he can um, and have no weaknesses. That's not normally how you do a, a case, because every case has weaknesses no matter what you do. Um, but I think in this case, when it comes to a... Um, a prior president, I think that's what Mary Garland is demanding. Um, and we can argue about that, but I, I really do think that Mary Garland is demanding this because he, he is an institutionalist. Although he's on the left, he tends to the left, he's institutionalist. So here we go. So, you know, if you looked at what um, Dean and Renee um, posted, regarding a model uh, indictment against Trump. Here's what we're looking at. We're looking at the fact that Trump resisted the government's attempts to recover documents that didn't belong to him, but belonged to the government from his presidency for over a year. And this involved the National Archives, and you, you'll, you'll see this acronym, NARA. That means the National Archives and Record Administration, and also the Justice Department that asked him as well. Um, this culminated into the FBI recovering 13,000 documents uh, of court-approved search warrant uh, activities from Mar-a-Lago. So just, just think about that for a second. A former president took over 13,000 documents that didn't belong to him over to Mar-a-Lago. Now, whether, regardless of whether they're classified or not, we're not even there yet. And I'll, I'll talk to you about that because whether they're classified or not doesn't matter. It's whether they're government documents or not. That's what does matter. And also whether we want them back and we communicate that to him. So even further than that, which is actually more clandestine and more devious and like crazy about this whole situation is that Trump tried to conceal the Mark, are you still there? I'm here. I think I'm, I'm here. Okay, I'm here. yeah, we lost you for a second. Or, you said Trump tried to conceal the documents. Pick up from there. Trump <laughs> tried to conceal... Why did they, why they stop me there? That's crazy. Trump tried to conceal the documents personally or through his agents. Epstein... Epstein is going down, y'all. Like he, 
Epstein's going down. He can't work out a deal. Um, there, there's deals being worked out. Or obstructed investigation. For instance, he personally alleged, like, uh, pressured, he, uh, he, he got uh, Alex Cannon to falsely assert that all presidential elections, uh, excuse me, uh, records were returned. He got Alex Cannon, one of his lawyers, to assert that. Alex Cannon is like now a, a, a witness for the DOJ. That's one of the early attorneys. Um, he, I remember when that happened. Yep. He's a, he was aware that the government, ha- that the government that he had, uh, excuse me, the documents that he had, the government wanted. And like, you know, he was told they wanted them and he didn't produce them. And he was even warned by his own lawyers. Evan Cochran that retained these documents was illegal and risk criminal penalties, but he disregarded these warnings. So what does that leave us at? And I'm not going to be long. This leaves us at two categories of crime, right? So just to be simple, there is two categories. One, mishandling of government documents. Number two, interfering with federal investigation and related offenses. Um, each carries its own weight, but interfering with federal offenses like actually, you know, it's mandatory 10 years. So the kind of crazy thing that could happen is that a jury could be like, you know, a president can have documents, but he shouldn't interfere. And he gets 10 years in prison for interfering. So what's that broken down into? So everybody knows this moving forward. When we understand what's coming at Trump. Retention of national defense uh, information. That's, that's sec- unlawful possession of retention of information related to national defense. That's that, that's that um, General Milley stuff. Now, it's important to realize, you guys, that the, the leaks that are coming out now about what is breaking is not breaking for Jack Smith. It's breaking for us. We're about four, three to four months behind what they already know. So when it says that Jack Smith has a sound recording of Trump and it's breaking news, they had that sound recording three months ago. And they already presented that to the grand jury. And it's coming out. The reason why it's coming out is because it's leading to something. Um, and this is a part of the strategy. You, can, you can't keep the public in the dark about what you're investigating. You have to keep give them some what I call kibbles and bits, kibbles and bits. I'm going to get me some kibbles and bits. All right. So this is what the Justice Department is doing, giving us kibbles and bits so that we have an idea of where they're going, what they're doing, and actually they're doing something. So here are the six crimes that Trump is like, you know, facing. Retention of national defense information, concealment of government records, conversion conversion of government property, because you show that shit to somebody. Right, or like converting it for one's own personal use, you can do like you're like you're you don't even show it to anybody, but you're talking about it in the audio. That's conversion of government property. And then the second category is interference with federal investigation and related offenses. That involves retention of national defense information, 
concealment of government records and conversion of government property. Conversion of government property talks about stealing and converting government property for one's own personal use. That's why you hear Jack Smith talking about, well, what were your deals after you got this information? What kind of deals did you make? What were you doing after the fact? Um, so there's significant evidence that Trump was aware or he intended to retain these documents. Um, and so, and this goes to, there's a critical element in these cases, all these cases that Jack Smith and like Merrick Garland and anybody that's related to DOJ knows about, anybody can talk about it on this thing. He has to knowingly and intentionally do this stuff that he's talking about. So it's not enough that we talk about it. It's not enough that I tweeted, like, you know, Trump knew. They have to prove it beyond reasonable doubt. But there's significant evidence that he knew and he intentionally did it. And they have to weigh his actions on these elements. Also, there's a strong precedent with regard to the Department of Justice to charge Trump based based upon his conduct compared to other cases. There's no other case that has come across DOJ that is like this. Not Bert Gonzalez from the Bush administration, nor nor Hillary Clinton. There's nothing like this. However, and and this is what I talked to Renee about, it's important to understand that, like, you know, once they get an indictment, there's going to be plea agreements. There's going to be plea negotiations that are going to be happening. And the pressure cannot, we cannot not have pressure on this DOJ, Merrick Garland, to not plead the case out. Um, he, like, he laughs in the face of law and order every day. And it's just like, you know, come on, man. You know, th- this, is, this is crazy. So in sum, Trump resisted governmental attempts to recover documents from his presidency for over a year. That's crazy. They're just, retri- they're just trying to recover documents that belong to the United States of America. This involved the NARA, which is called the National Archives, and the Justice Department. And, and it came to a point where the FBI had to culminate a not only a search warrant, um, not only a, a subpoena, but a search warrant, and more subpoenas after the fact to recover over, I guess it's over right now, I'm not sure if this is the case anymore, 13,000 documents that were recovered that are were target of this investigation. And he tried to conceal it, some of them. Now, I'm not sure how many of those cases have to involve secret or top secret information. A couple things. We, we're good. We are in the Espionage Act now. What does that mean? It means that, you know, Trump can be charged with espionage. Does it mean he's guilty? No. Does it mean that we can, it's easy to prove? No. The government has to prove all crimes beyond a reasonable doubt. We have two, like I gave you all the crimes he's charged with. We have two factors. Mishandling government documents and interfering with the investigation. Remember that. Always keep that in mind. When you hear about this stuff, there's only two categories of crime we're talking about. Mishandling government documents and interference with federal investigation and related offenses. That's all. There's six crimes that go with that, though, 
that he could be facing a life sentence for. That aside, how do we how does the government prove that? Well, we do know, and I'll be short. I'm I'm coming to a close, D. Don't worry, I'm not preaching too much. We do know that there's only a certain amount of documents they can admit in evidence. Otherwise, they have to do what's called a secret witness uh, motion to actually have a secret trial because of the classified documents. So the documents that they produced, that they, they tried to prosecute Trump on, they can't be so sensitive that they cannot be produced to a jury in public. And it's another hurdle they have to go through. They have to, they have to evaluate the evidence. Even, even that, that document that's in the news right now that you guys are hearing about with Millie and Iran, if that document is not ready to be released to the public, they can't produce that in trial, which is a hurdle that the prosecution is going to have to face. A lot of things we hear may not be the things that a jury would hear. Um, and we we need to be prepared for that because if we're talking about, especially if we're talking about top, top secret documents, you can't, the government still can't run in the court and say Trump had top secret documents and not produce what documents he had and expect, expect us to believe them. We don't, we don't expect that. So Jack Smith has to prove this case beyond a reasonable doubt. No doubt, and as I told Renee, he is looking through, he is undercovering and, and like there's everything because having to present this case to Merrick Garland is like crazy. If anybody's had to present like a hundred percent case to their supervisor, you know what Jack Smith's going through because the, it can be no holes. If there's a question and there's a hole, Jack Smith has to go back to the beginning and like can't present the case again until that and any other question is resolved. So here we are. I'm hearing from close that we have all this stuff. I just wanted to uh, come to Advocacy Arena and talk about the six charges that are possible, uh, the two categories of those charges, mishandling government documents and interfering with federal investigation and related offenses that are associated with those documents, and also talk about a little bit about, like, you know, what the summary of that model um, prosecution memo is. Now, remember, this is important. That memo is very important because that's what Jack Smith has to present to Merrick Garland. Uh, in prosecutions, the um, leading prosecutor has to do a prosecution memo like they did, which is why they did it, to the uh, attorney general as to why they want to bring charges. Now, special counsel can do whether Merrick Garland wants to or not, but he's going to want Mary Garland's approval. So that's that might be where we're at right now. And we might be waiting for that authority and to go back to the grand jury and seek an indictment. So um, there it is, y'all. We're very close to an indictment of a, uh, the first indictment in the history of America of a former president of the United States. Um, and I kind of summarized as, as best I could um, the what, what it looks like, what it will look like, I don't know if it's going to look like that. It all depends on what they think they can prove beyond a reasonable doubt and what documents they have for it. Um, and as we know, the more top secret the document he shared or he he 
uh, mishandled, the better for the prosecution, but it's not necessarily going to be a break into court. So uh, I just want everybody to be prepared for that. And also there's a chance that there could be a plea agreement. And I know I talked to Renee about this. She was like, oh my fucking dead body. But um, oh my God, we don't want to talk about that yet. But well, <laughs> well, you know what? There's some institutionalists in the Department of Justice that don't believe in prosecuting a a former president candidate, and they'd much rather have a plea agreement and says he can't run for office. So be prepared for that as well. Yeah, and and it's real. You know what? And not for one moment do I actually believe that in real life we'll see that man in a jumpsuit behind bars. Um, but, you know, I would be okay with him not being able to run and some other things. But I don't want to talk about, you know, making, you know, concessions so early. I just want to talk about the prosecutions, <laughs> the indictments, <laughs> and the well, fear. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the, the indictment. Well, Jack Smith is a... It, well, if anybody's seen Jack Smith, well, I've seen Jack Smith. Well, he, he he is theater, so he's not going to want to like quietly announce this. He's going to want to. Oh, that is so fight. good to know. But <laughs> like, he, he likes uh, Renee. He likes big splashes. So, um, if Merrick Garland truly lets him handle this, it's going to be huge. And it's and from what I'm hearing from people like you know around the way, it's coming soon. Yes, every all of the, you know, attorneys and legal scholars that I thought they all seem to be saying that very same thing. And, you know, uh, you, you know, sharing that uh, article, it's just um, I think that um, it's time and we're all ready. (laughs) Remember, there's, there's a memo that there's a prosecution memo that goes to. I've written these. To, I've actually written these to Kamala Harris um, before. It, well, not in this, not in this type of case because it's like crazy. You know, this part, this thing is going probably going to be a hundred pages or more. But there's a prosecution memo that goes to the AG that says, "This is what I'm. This is what I want to do." The AG can say you can't do that but only under extraordinary circumstances because it's a special counsel can you say that. If the AG approves it, that's when we go forward with indictment. That's when he asks the, the grand jury for an indictment and he moves forward. So at, that, at the point where the attorney general has approved the prosecution memo, that's where we should get a press conference. And I'm pretty sure the press conference is going to involve, well, it's probably not going to involve the president. It's going to involve the attorney general and Jack Smith, and he's going to talk about the indictment. And I think we're going to get get like a really granular and organic discussion about what grand juries do, about what they looked at, about what, uh, what questions they asked. And how they came to that decision, despite the fact that it's the president of the United States, Jack Smith is organic and meticulous. So I think the ex- you can expect that when he brings this, the explanation is going to be beyond reproach. I I believe you, and I can't wait. And every time that Merrick Garland has gotten on television and spoken to us, he has been very 
um, concise and laid out um, the explanation so that uh, we can all understand what has taken place. So I can't wait for that conference, that <laughs> that press conference. But thank you so much, Mark. And I hope that you have a fabulous weekend and the, the girls and the family are doing well and continue to share any tidbits, um, kibbles um, that you get um, with us in the DMs and certainly when we have spaces and I will be having one on Monday. So I hope you'll be able to join us there and anyone else that's here. We are getting close to the wrap up time. And again, I'm so glad that you all joined us this evening. I was hoping to feature a and a with uh, Queen V Lion, who I interviewed. Uh, it's excellent. Uh, she uh, was an excellent interview. And I hope that you guys will take an opportunity to listen to it, to get to know her a little bit more and her work. And we will uh, reschedule this Q&A because I would love for you all to have an opportunity to um, talk to her, get to know a little bit more about the work that she's doing. And that is just one of the, the great things um, about this community that there are so many talented people who are out here doing um, work in so many different areas and we come together and we share, we make each other smarter, we inspire each other and encourage each other. And I just want to let you guys know I'm I'm thankful and grateful to you all. I'm I'm so grateful to be a part of such a wonderful community. And it is so wonderful because each because of each and every one of you and the unique gifts that you bring to it. So thank you all for the gifts you bring. And up next, I am going to have Nathan and then Geechee. And we're going to start to wrap it up. And I thank you guys for hanging out with Ngazi and I this Friday. Nathan, hello. Hi, Dee. It's been a while. Yes, it has. I almost, I didn't recognize your Abby and I was like, I think I know them. (laughs) Okay. I changed it. I shaved my head. Um, But yes, um, I actually have a question. I actually came up for a comment, but I want to ask Mark a question first, if that's all right. He's usually open to it. I'm sure he won't mind. Go ahead. Okay. So um, the thing you mentioned about plea deals, um, Donald Trump is currently the spear, not the spear, but he's the he is, well, we all know that he's the ultimate, um, he is the ultimate destination of this investigation. Um, are plea, um, from what I've seen, plea deals are usually given to the intermediaries. For example, like uh, Rudy Giuliani, or um, for example, Mark Meadows, who were the intermediaries between um, Trump and whatever various deeds he did, and plea deals are like for them, they are they are enticing. For example, these intermediaries to flip on Trump. Um, is it like since Trump is the destination of this indictment? Um, does that lessen or increase the chance of a plea deal? Mark, did you hear the question?
Hello, Mark. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear the question. Sorry, can you repeat it? Okay, so because Trump is the destination of these plea, is the, is the destination of these uh, investigations, and from what I've seen, plea deals are usually uh, plea deals are usually uh, meant for the intermediaries of these investigations to flip on people up higher up on the food chain. Since Trump is the top of the food chain, would there be um, would there be a greater or a smaller chance of a plea deal in this case? I'm just curious, honestly. Well, if you look, if you look at the cases, you know that that well, the Department of Justice is going to compare Trump's case to the other cases, right? So you have Alberto. The closest that they, you know, anybody can come to is uh, Alberto Gonzalez and Hillary Clinton, right? And there, there are many felony cases that the Department of Justice pursues based upon similar conduct that's significantly less egregious than the, you know, the, the Trump facts. Um, the aggravating factors in Trump's case, though, include the length of time that he retained the documents, the volume of documents that he had, and, and like the highly sensitive nature of the damn documents, and more, the number of warnings he had to like give them back, and then his obstructive conduct and then, like, his involving other people in his scheme. There's no other case like that. Every other case like that, the Department of Justice has, like, convicted those people, and they're, in, they're either in jail or they're coming out of jail and on, on parole. So if Trump were not charged in this case, it would be a major deviation from how other targets of investigation are typically treated by the Department of Justice. I hope that answers your question. But charge is different from um, getting a plea deal because you can be charged and get a plea deal after you're charged, right? If I'm not mistaken. Well, I, I can't talk about Trump more than being charged because he's not mm-hmm. convicted and he's not like, you know, there's, there's, there's been nothing else. So yeah. right now, an indictment is, is a charge and like what he can be charged. But I'm going to tell you this. If he were not charged, which means if there were an indictment against Trump, it would be a major deviation from what is norm with regard to Department of Justice investigations into the same or similar conduct, whether it's weaker or stronger than Trump. You understand me? I understand. Which is good because I've been telling everybody that he's going to be charged for like the last past year, but no one's believed me. So... Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, Nathan. Well, thank you, Mark. Um, and uh, thank you, Nathan. Um, um, I actually also have one more thing that I have to add, so if possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, full disclosure here. I am probably more of a leftist than most of the people here on this space are, if any of you have followed me. Um, the thing that I want to say is regarding the no votes for the debt ceiling. The no votes for the debt ceiling are all telegraphed. So um, this is in response to, I think, one of the earlier speakers in this space. I believe that all the people, like, it is not directly stated, but all, but I do believe that all the no votes for the debt ceiling were all telegraphed and were given the blessing of Hakeem Jeffries in this case, because, well, 
it's like how do I say this? Uh, so well, we, you can we actually disagree say... with you. We won't disagree with you on that. Mm-hmm. So I think you're pe- preaching to the choir on that. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yes, um, but I also just want to note that it is also possible to change your vote during the voting process itself. So yes. you even though someone has voted no, you can vote yes. So if you guys have watched the C-SPAN um, and the yes vote, the yes slash no votes, you will notice that some of the Dems vote, who voted no initially on the rules package uh, voted yes on the rules package because um, the numbers dropped from the numbers of the no votes dropped um, after Hakim Jeffries gave the signal. Um, so I'm going to say that if if it had come down to it, even the squad would have voted yes on the final passage of the bill, even if they didn't like it, because they do understand what is at stake, which well, is, we're pretty I think, much, entirely different. Yeah, we pretty much said that. I think that, you know, uh, only a, a rare few would not have, you know, because of uh, what the um, crisis that would have been, you know, created. Uh, so I don't think that any of them would have done that. I'd like to hope not. So, yeah, I, I agree. So was there another point that you wanted to make? Mm, are there other points that I want to make? Not right now at this point in time, but yeah. Okay. Thanks All for right. letting me speak. Well, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you coming in and sharing with us tonight. And we are going to be wrapping up here shortly. So I have one last uh, new speaker. So glad uh, that Geechee was able to join us tonight. So how are you doing, my dear? Have you been getting some rest? What's up, Geechee? (laughs) I don't know what he's doing. Is he asleep? He, he's he's fixing actually the drink. talking to us in TM, so let me nudge ah, him Tell right him to now. get back over here. Mm-hmm. Come on, Geechee. We're waiting on you. We're waiting on you, Geechee. I want to... What has he changed his avi to? Um, it's always... Okay. <laughs> I always get a chuckle from it, Geechee. So whenever you're ready to join us again, we are ready to hear from you, my dear. Um, in the meantime, we are getting close to wrapping up, and I have enjoyed hanging out with you guys tonight. If there is anyone else here who is on the stage that would like to chime in, add anything, anyone who is down in the gallery listening um, would like to come up and have some final words before we close up, this would be the time to do it. Um, Tiff, go ahead, sweetie. I just wanted to to make a point about um, Kamala Harris. So today she was doing a speech in Virginia and she was talking about gun safety, but she has a really important trip next week. So I want y'all all to pay attention to what she's doing. So she's going the last one. She went to Africa. I said, me and Geechee, we were talking about the Caribbean. And I said, one of the places that I want, I want her to go two places. I want her to go to Jamaica and I wanted her to go to the Bahamas. And she is actually going to the Bahamas, but what she's going to the Bahamas to do is to have a, um, a conference with um, CARICOM, which is basically like the Caribbean Alliance. 
um, to talk about, you know, global warming, not global war, climate change, um, you know, stability, and, you know, you know, obviously us, you know, partnering with the Caribbean. And I think it's a really big deal, especially since we know this is kind of a second part to her Africa trip, um, trying to build alliances and build partnership with um, with other countries. So I just hope everyone pays attention to that trip because it's going to be really important. She's her and um, the Bohemian um, prime minister or president are hosting it. And so they it's um, I know of one of one of my reporter friends, um, Akela, told me she's going to be um, following the VP. She's, she works for Bloomberg and she will be she 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 was with VP when she was in um, Africa. So awesome. We're, so we're going to have um, decent coverage, <laughs> at least of her. Don't expect. And I keep telling people this. Do not expect the mainstream media, cable news, to follow VP. If you want to know what's happening with VP, follow the people that actually follow her um, throughout, you know, throughout her days. And most of it is print media, but they all have Twitter accounts. And so those are the people that you want to, you know, kind of get your information from. There was a pretty decent article today that was written about her as well. Oh, I cannot think of what publication it was, but there it was out today. I had it on my page. Um, you know, the value of her being on the ticket. So people are paying attention to what she's doing, even though it doesn't seem like they are. But that trip next week is going to be really important. Hopefully they have like an actual like dinner and we actually get to see her dressed up, not in a suit all day. She, she'll be with her people. So she will be, you know, more carefree and do, doing her doing her thing. But I think it's a really important trip. Um, for her and for the United States, because it'll have all the Caribbean countries will be in attendance. So it's a really, it's a really big deal. Thank you so much, Tip. And where is she going again? I um, forgot. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, we'll be looking to help amplify her visit and her work in that respect. And thank you for reminding us um, of that. So uh, we always want to keep up with uh, what she's doing because uh, she is always working on um, projects and things that that are important that do not get um, elevated in the mainstream media. So that's why we're here. So uh, Mark has his hand up again, um, my co-host, and then Geechee, I think, has returned. So Mark, um, Ngazi, and um, then Geechee. Well, just real quick to add on, on top of what Jeff uh, was talking about, the importance of um, the Caribbean Union, um, is to remind everybody, you know, what Haiti has contributed to our freedom. Um, Haiti has suffered because they were the first Caribbean nation to fight for freedom. And no, um, they actually... Haiti had to pay the government of France reparations reparations to stop them well for the plantation owners that are lost wages and also to stop them from reinvading Haiti. Toussaint Louverture negotiated this but like you know he fought for our freedom and that led to our freedom fights here. So it's important, and, and, and Haiti is on the island of Hispaniola, which is shared with La Republica Dominica, the Dominican Republic, Re- Republic. So Haiti and 
Dominican Republic are on the same island called Hispanola. Um, and it's important to keep Haiti in mind because they're being punished for our freedom. They've long been punished for where we are as Americans. And I'm actually a Haitian Creole. So this is very personal to me. Um, Haiti's, Haiti has been and still continues to be punished for being the first independent Caribbean nation that fought against colonization and slavery, won independence and got no support, not even from the United States. And don't tell me about Bill Clinton and the Clinton Initiative. That's a whole nother, another uh, basket of eggs. But I'm just saying it's important to realize that countries like, you know, you know having Kamala Harris down there in the Bahamas, talking about the Caribbean nations, which are so close. I mean, th this is very important. And I think, Tiff, like, you know, you, I'm glad you talked about it. I don't think people give it enough, enough importance historically because we're not, we're ahistorical as a, as a family because it's not taught to us how important that Caribbean and and trifecta of um, transatlantic slavery is. We we came from the Caribbean, um, most of us is. And that's very important to realize. And then going to the Bahamas and talking to the Caribbean nations about how we can partner. Um, and they're going to be talking about these things and, and also talking about Haiti that is like on the top of like most of the Caribbean nations' mind. Like France, are you giving that money back? Right. You know, one of the things that I, I never want to hear France talking about morality or anything. Pay Haiti their money back. They shouldn't have to pay you for freedom, democracy, justice and equality. That's why they're suffering now. They have no money because they paid they paid France for a hundred years. Imagine that. Imagine a Caribbean nation having to play a, uh, pay a global price for freedom. And the effect that they had on us in America, like Toussaint Louverture, that had on us to fight for our freedom too. We didn't, we didn't go easily into the night as slaves. There was a bunch of rebellions, man. I'm tired of these people that I wake wake up to in in the in in the morning, talking about how how cool it was to be a slave, or how advantageous it, it was that we we could have been thank, in Africa. Thank the UDC for that indoctrination. I'm tired of waking up in the morning and hearing about these, and like it's like crazy. Like I, I sometimes I text I text D, uh, Tiff, Renee. I'm like. Are these fools crazy? I mean, I have, has anybody studied history? They're talking about, hey, man, it was kind of better being a slave than being in Africa. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, honestly, I'm sorry I cursed, by the way. I'm sorry. But it is that serious where I'm like, y'all out your mind. There's no intellectual depth kind of comment. There's no rigor, intellectual rigor. When you comment on slavery worldwide, at least some intellectual rigor. Talk about the discernment between chattel slavery 
and African slavery, how it was akin to serfdom on one side, and then property ownership on the other side. How chattel slavery was akin to, it was separated and distinguished by racial, like indoctrinate racial indoctrination and also segregation and also supremacy. Where in the African side, it was like you lost the war and you're a serf and you can buy your, you can work or buy your way out of slavery. Slavery is not the same thing across the world, across time zones, time, time errors. Chattel slavery in America was so different than any other slavery that has ever happened in the history of the fucking world. As a matter of fact, the transatlantic slave trade was the most populous forced migration in the history of the world. The and, mo- 12 yeah. million African Americans were forced to leave Africa to come here to work for free. We can never lose that reality, that history, that dynamic. We can never concede to this idea that we're, we, we don't want to talk about that because that's not like American to talk about. It's so fucking American to talk about. And I actually, like, you know, I celebrate it. It's important for us to talk about it, Mark, in part because, as I said, there has been an active measure for a century, more than a century, for us not to talk about it. And when we talk about it, not to talk about it in its truthfulness. So, and and, and, and and it's why we have to have these moments of laying down our history and telling our story. It's very important for us to continue to do that. And and let me close with this before Gishi hears me down with history. He's going, and I, 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 I hope that Gishi clarifies for me and corrects me if I'm wrong. Rescue me if I'm wrong, Gishi. But the founding fathers, they were like, "This is this is some fucked up shit." Like they they were even like, "We how can we talk about this?" They were, they wrote this shit down. Like I can't even be like this if I, I'm gonna do like this. This shit is in writing, and in the federal the, the Federalist Papers and some of the arguments for the Fourteenth Amendment. This shit is in writing. You know, talk about being a textualist. Well, let's be textual. Let's get all, let's get the text. They don't really mean it when they say that. <laughs> they know, they just mean the the white supremacy part of the text. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? We 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 are, I'm, I'm gonna quote unquote land my plane. I hate to land my plane quote, but I'm gonna <laughs> land my plane. Um, but I'll say this: we have to fight white supremacy in in every way. It heaps us. It's fucking bodily soul up. I swear to God, we got to fight it. We got to like, you know, anytime I woke up in the morning this morning, this dude, this black dude says stupid ass shit. And like, I had to, you know, he hasn't responded to what I said, but like, I had like, I had to counter that. I'm like, wait, and he said Barack Obama started racism or brought in a new era of racism. I'm like, well, how did Barack Obama manufacture that? Like, you know, and like, 
That is the no, that is no. The what he did was he caused the old races to rear their ugly head, the backlash, because they were like, "Oh no, these niggers are getting power." And and always, like I always said, D, like you actually brought up first before I did. This is the Joseph Goebbels propaganda machine that the Nazis used, that these Republicans and these Republican-like people are using in order to like make a faction of people so incredible that there's nothing that we can do to oppose them and our job is to fight that like with stuff like this advocacy arena and also voting in our, our state and local elections so uh, the stuff we talk about is very important um listen all these people um they're geniuses um renee Ichi, tiffany d these people are geniuses listen to them listen and take what you take what they give you and then like apply it and like run for shit. I'm say this right now. Don't just listen to, to Tiff and not do anything. You don't have to run for something. Don't listen to Renee and not do anything. Run for something. If you don't run for something, donate t- donate five bucks to like somebody we talk about. That's very important. Like Colin Allred in Texas. Donate. I'm not advocating for him, but I'm like, donate him. Donate to uh, the the Lady Ashbrook. Uh, in, I think she's in North Carolina. Five bucks. Anything you can do. Like, help us win these, keep this majority, and help us win back the House. That's what's important. And, like, we can have, the, we can have an argument about what the Democrats have done for us. I, I can't wait till we have somebody in here that's willing to, to like, Talk about! I'm not voting because the Democrats ain't done shit for us. I can't wait. Well, to you know argument. they won't be lasting long in here, but we can have that no. discussion. I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready for the debate. And it's actually quite simple. I mean, it's quite because it's a false dilemma. Like you know, it's a false dilemma. So don't let people like that, you know, deter what our motivation is and what our goal is. Um, we, you know, and and I'm telling you, like. Like Tiff has been telling y'all for a long time. I think Tiff has been telling y'all this for like since I've known him. State and local elections are very important. Don't you can't federal elections come along every four years, but state and local, man, that's every that's every six months. The local you, level is where um it happens. And uh it is why when they lost at the federal level, that they again, they being the Republicans uh, turn their attention to the local level, the very basic school boards. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't even think about those. They put a lot of energy into those things. Um, the school boards, the county commission seats, the, you know, aldermen, the, um, yeah. all of that. And that because actually many of the people who have risen to power in state houses and federal that that is how a lot of them who have been involved in politics for a long time start at the very basic local level last point don't be relying on this 6-3 conservative court to save us i'm gonna tell you that right now that's that that's not that's not gonna we gotta win another term um with that Thank you so much, D. I love Advocacy Arena. Thank you so much for letting us vent and also um, prognosticate and, like, you know, talk about the things that are passionate to us and also bring bring these facts and 
this analysis forward. I look forward to hearing from everybody else. Thank you for all the speakers that came before. I listened to everybody. Um, I love everything you said, and I, I'll, I'll sign off from here, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. And well, we I'm appreciate out. you, Mark. Thank you again so very much. Um, and we um, are always uh, delighted when you come and share with us and are always more uh, knowledgeable and enlightened um, by your legal analysis and the way that you're able to break it down to us, help us to understand uh, what to expect, what is happening. And of course, uh, Renee always putting the uh, the wit uh, uh, and the, the humorous spin on it. We love it. Um, we love you guys. And I'm so glad, again, like I said, that you guys were able to come and hang out with us tonight. So I'm going to give my co-host an opportunity to say a few words and then Geechee. And we're going to wrap it up with um, Renee. So Ngozi, my dear, how are you? You know, you could chime in anytime, sweetie. I know we, yeah. we're a little off balance here because we haven't done this in a while, but it's okay. <laughs> yes, got to get back in the flow. But it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed listening and people have made very, very great points. Um, so I also didn't have much to add because everyone was already doing so well. But I did want to speak to, I did put a clip from what Renee was talking about with the shiny um, happy people. Uh, which I would definitely be watching that because I grew up with these people. Like I went to school with people like this. And so for me, whenever I see this kind of stuff, like it's not like abstract. These are people who I've watched struggle through and realize, oh, I'm in a cult. And so like it's, it's indoctrination, but because of how they live their life, they don't realize it until they get exposed to other people and other people and like and other things and then they kind of realize oh this is wrong and so like, and it's a go ahead they, they do it so easily again because they come in in that religious vein yes and it starts there <laughs> and the challenge too is that it is a very thin almost translucent line between regular christianity and the fundamentalist cult stuff like i mean i grew up evangelical christian and we used to talk about that all the time of like being careful to not become fundamentalist, but also still maintaining your values. It is so difficult to like not go too far. Um, but because when you were caught up in a system where your kids are homeschooled, so they're not exposed to anybody else, but people who share the same values and systems as you, it's hard to be broken out of some things of like, you know what, that thinking is a little fundamentalist. Um, I have friends who I have a friend who she just recently passed who she wanted to have 12, ch 12 sons, one for each tribe of Judah. And they have 17 children and they moved to Alaska to basically build their own compound. Like, this is a real way of thinking for people that <laughs> I, I struggle with calling it a cult because it is a cult, but it's also like slightly different in that there are certain things that typical cults don't do that Christian cults do. That I'm, I'm like, we, I would wish there was different language and better language to describe what happens in the Christian fundamentalist space. Because as Renee mentioned, it is infiltrating into like our politics. And because it is wrapped up in Christianity, which is such a strong part of our society in America, it's very hard to notice until they start kind of talking. And if you grow up in this space, you can realize like, mm, you're one of those. But if you don't grow up in that space, then you just think they're crazy. And it's like, 
but they don't think they're crazy. So there's no way for you to really talk to them if you're, if you don't know what their basis, their baseline is. But I'm like I said, I'm gonna watch the documentary because this is my kink to always watch how Christians just always end up falling from grace. Um, and it's important for it to be exposed so other people can maybe understand a little bit more about what the baseline understanding is so you can talk to these people because a lot of them are breaking out of their cults and entering in more with regular society. And it is very, very hard. Like I've watched friends struggle with growing up a certain kind of way, being exposed to a new thing, and it is painful. They have a really, really hard time. They lose their entire support system in doing this. And so it's not just about the politics. It's also about how do we love people better when they're coming out of a situation like that. Um, so put that clip in there for people to kind of connect themselves to. And it's on Amazon Prime um, if you have access to that. Um, and then also wanted to add the um, to the voting with the um, progressives. I was very confused by the messaging around SNAP. Because it seems as though we've expanded the SNAP benefits by giving Republicans messaging that they added work requirements. And I don't understand why we're not messaging that better. That, like, Republicans wanted a messaging bill. They wanted something to be able to take back to their people to be like, they're hurting the libs. And Biden was able to get a real deal that actually helps people. And I'm just very confused why progressives were not more focused on showing that, like, Making the sausage is messy. Compromise is ugly. But when you've got divided government, you've got to fight for what you can get. And this is why in 2024, y'all need to fight to get the House back because we could have gotten more if we weren't having to work with transgent Republicans. So maybe Tiff can explain that a little bit better. She's better at politics. But I was just so confused watching these press conferences and the, the arguments didn't make sense on what they were trying to argue versus what their values were claiming like to be stated. But that's just me. And I will end there so we can hear from Geechee. Well, thank you so much. And no, they didn't make sense because um, it was all, you know, theatrics um, for the most part. And the media fell right in line with a lot of it. But um, I am so grateful that many of us here know the truth and understand the game that's being played. And thank you for sharing that um, uh, link to the docu-series that Renee mentioned, and uh, I, too, will be watching that one. I saw it, but I hadn't watched it, but I have watched quite a few um, kind of cult docu-series and things like that, and it is very interesting. So, again, like I said, I'm so grateful that, you know, this is a, an area of passion and focus for Renee or, you know, her her to be able to, you know, point us to these things because it is absolutely important to understand how this um, is working and the fact that it's just not simply people walking away because these are people's entire lives and, and sometimes their only connection to people in the world. So when they walk away, they're not just walking away from your their religion they're walking away from their family, their friends, you know, sometimes, you know, support all of those things. So I love what you said about um, being able to um, love people and to show people love um, and understanding. It is important. And um, it, with saying that, I'm going to go 
to Geechee. And then I just want to share something because I got a, a DM uh, <laughs> that I thought was interesting. Someone had shared and um, they kind of think we're too hard on the progressives in office. So I, I just kind of want to address that a little bit. So anyway, Geechee, go ahead. Hola, hola, everybody. Happy Pride. Happy Hola, man. How are I'm you? I'm good. I had to spend time with my family, and that is stressful as AF, but um, I survived. My sisters and they are hard <laughs> to deal you. with, and then my older cousins who are annoying as F, but that's good, too. But it's happy Pride to everybody. Happy Indigenous Peoples Month. Happy Black Music Month. Happy everybody that's here month. Um, I've got, a, I guess, a, a bunch of scattered things, but I, I guess it all makes sense that they're all put together, but I put a bunch of stuff in the Jumbotron because I haven't got a chance to like say much or, or express myself in the last two weeks besides being suspended for, um, I guess now you cannot use the word um, red and then N-E-C-K because now that's a racial slur now. So I said it like hundreds of times, what? but I got suspended for a week <laughs> for saying that. And I was told that was a protected class of people. I did not know that whites were a protected class of people in this country, but whatever. I guess what Elon is doing is what he's doing. But that just like brought me to the first thing that I was trying to re retweet when I got suspended was an uh, uh, older tweet of Charlotte Clymer, like saying that Biden would not be able to pass judges and he's doing a bad job filling the judiciary and, she, and she's always wrong. But that's what people that don't, that um, drink and dash do. So we're not worried about her. Let's move on to the next topic. Next for that point, Mark, I did not know that you were Haitian Creole. That makes sense because a lot of people from the Mississippi Delta, that's what we call, like Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, we call it the Mississippi Delta. But um, I think like a third of the people that are from there are, are Haitian Creole. But of course, all of us that are Black, that are um, of, uh, products of the, um, the slave trade, obviously would have West Indian heritage. We didn't come like directly here to the States. We were broken and in the Caribbean or in Central America and then came here. Some of our families didn't come here. Some of them stayed there and others went south. And of course, most of the people that left there, the number one destination was Brazil more than anything else. But of course, between you being um, a Creole descent and me being Gucci Gola, that would completely obliterate this quote unquote ADOS FBA B1, B square, B2, whatever the fuck those people are. Because like our, whichever alphabet well, they're using. Uh, because our lineage is is of the Caribbean before we came here, and it is of African. We're not indigenous people to this damn land. I don't know where the hell they got that from, but neither here nor there. I'm glad you spoke about that. It's also important because um, there was a conversation that happened yesterday about, um, it was a weird conversation, um, about is Miami Southern? And it was just like, what is Southern? Because people were saying D.C. is not Southern, so on and so forth. But also the, that Caribbean people are having Caribbean heritage is not rare in the U.S. It's not like a new phenomenon that's happened that a lot of people want to pretend that it is. It is heavy in a lot of those north, um, those northeastern cities. It's also in Chicago. It's also in that Mississippi Delta. It's on the Geechee Gullah Coast. It's also prominent in Miami. And like for people to act like Caribbean people all of a sudden came to the U.S. is the dumbest shit ever. And, like, their votes matter. And one of the things I give credit to, like, New Jersey and New York is that they are better at crafting policy and understanding how to communicate with these voters. 
than whatever the fuck they're doing in, in Miami-Dade and Broward and, and Palm Beach County, which is obviously not working, or in Orange and Osceola County, which is obviously not working, too. They have to get better. I don't know if it means like bringing the entire apparatus of the state of New Jersey Democratic Party down to Florida to help save them, but like they have to be better. And I know that people are doing it. I don't know if Nikki Fried is the person that's doing it, but they're, the people in Florida, those black, Latino, Asians, white college grads, they deserve better than what the political apparatus in Florida has been my entire life. Because it's basically been like Bob Graham and Martin Piles hovering over the fact that that state has not had a state party worth anything forever. And also, a lot of these state parties are horrible. Even in really, really, really blue states, we have state parties that are absolutely incompetent. The states are so blue, it doesn't matter. Like Oregon, to an extent, New York. So, like, it, it has to be fixed. It really, really, really has to be fixed. My next point is actually wrote this stuff down. Um, the coons are out in force. I mean, they are out in mass. The ice cube has all of a sudden reappeared. Stephen A. Smith is out today with all this propaganda. Sean Hannity's best friend, Stephen A. Smith, is anti-black, anti-woman, anti-queer, anti-everything. I hate that damn dude. His hairline is a response to him being so hateful. It's out there today talking about an 80-year-old shouldn't be president. When the only option for Democrats to win is Biden being the nominee. Because anybody else running destroys the party. I love the first, I love the VP. But if she's in that role, it's going to be as possible as possible can be to try to tear her apart, put the party in a hundred different directions, and then we lose. And she doesn't deserve that. Biden doesn't deserve that. Our party doesn't deserve that. And I am ready for her to be president, be it if unfortunately something happened between now and 2028, or she runs in 2028, takes the bulls by the horn, and she runs this shit. I'm confident that's going to happen, but like doing it now or, or having an open primary for it to be complete warfare is stupidity. At the same time, our opponent is most likely going to be Donald Trump. And the ticket is most likely going to be Trump and Tim Scott. And that is white Christo-fascism run them up. I heard um, Ngozi talk about that, and I think it's important that we talk about this. The state of Wyoming is a really deep red state. I believe it's the second most GOP state after West Virginia. There are also a white Christo-fascist party now, meaning that if you are not in that party willing to put the Christian fascism ahead of all of the principles of government, including democracy and representative democracy, and you're not willing to go and have an autocratic white Christian fascist party in Wyoming, you're being kicked out of the party. There was a great op-ed that was done during the time I was spending. I put it up in the jumbo squad, and it's not just there. You see it in Utah. You see it in Idaho. You see it in the Dakotas. This push for this. It didn't start in Wyoming. It started in Colorado Springs. Ali and I have talked about it a lot. I know Gia has talked about it a lot. This dominion form of white Christian fascism. It's also linked with like Mormonism. It is cult ideology. It's a violent ideology which they exist and nobody else does. Or they exist and everybody else is subjugated. And if you're not in that form, then there's no 
reason for you to exist. Now, they are willing to expand that to include Latino evangelicals and black evangelicals as long as we're subjugating women, all the queer people are dead, all the disabled people can go off on an island somewhere. As long as you're willing to do all these things which are not godly, they're willing to have you there. But if you're not, they have no use for you. So that cruise fits perfectly in there. And now he's allegedly not a virgin anymore. Tim Scott and his, his oppressive gums belong in there. Or as the kids call him, periodontal disease. He belongs in there. These people are a threat to our existence. And the fact that these coons are out here in full force saying, oh, it's okay, we got we to gotta crush Biden, terrorists is wrong, caring about LGBT people is wrong, caring about kids is wrong, caring about women are wrong. These people have to be stopped and stopped immediately. Um, next, on the map, you see a lot of these different maps going around, so on and so forth, what's a swing state, what's not a swing state. The Biden-Harris team has put out the where they are going about this map. It is defending every state they won last time, plus investing heavily and treating it as if it's a state they won in Florida and North Carolina. They believe they can win both of those states. And also investing through the Senate campaign in Texas. So that means that they are basically saying they may not be able to win Texas, but they can narrow it, but they have faith in the Senate candidate they can do that. And when Colin Alred ran, first of all, I appreciate when he asks for money that he always includes a picture and makes it easier for me to give for him. But when these people were, when he came out there, oh, this race is not a chance, this race is not a chance. And then suddenly, the race and all these different indications are toss up, tilt Republican, lean Republican. Not likely Republican, not all the, not safe Republican, but a competitive race with its odds being anywhere from 25 to 33% from the different um, procrastinations, um, prognostications, which is the same odds that Donald Trump had to be president in 2016, and he was elected in 2016. That race is not out of there. And if we get a good candidate in Florida, I don't know what a good candidate is. Maybe it's Dwayne Wade. Maybe it's Grant Hill. Maybe it's someone that doesn't exist, and I just don't know who that person is. But that race also is likely going to get the same kind of rating because DeSantis' ratings in Florida are plummeting, and that six-week ban is poison, like the greatest poisons of all. It's like hemlock. And then my final point, and I will leave on this and let Renee um, speak, because I know she's going to bring wisdom, is the absolute utter meltdown of Ron DeSantis. There are areas in this country or states in this country where electorally they just have not been able to muster good candidates, not in their state, but nationally. Midwestern candidates or Democrats have not done well on tickets in a very, very, very long time. They struggle in the primary system. If you had a primary system, one Midwesterner got there. He actually won less delegates than the person that um, he actually won less delegates, Walter Mondale, won less delegates, and went there without winning the South. And then he, of course, he got demolished in the general election. They struggled. And then we've seen, and I have loved a lot of these politicians. I love Bob Graham. And you've seen Deb Bush, who I don't love. And now you see Ron DeSantis. These Florida politicians do well in their state. 
they get on the national team, they just fall apart, diminish. I don't know what words you want to use. It doesn't work. But Juan DeSantis has managed in a short period of time to be the front runner a week after the 2020 elections to now falling into the 30s, into the mid-20s, at 20%. Oh, and now he's in the team. And because of this, we went from having a race that was going to be five or six people to everybody and their mama getting in this race. And here's the big thing. Most of Ron DeSantis' money that he raised after he got his election, which was far less than what Kamala Harris put on the ticket, but the media tried to lie about that, what came from millionaire donors. He had a small number of individual donors. I think it was under 11,000 people that um, donated to him. He needs $40,000 to get on this event stage. I don't know if a lot of people besides Trump can do that. But I'm sure it'll happen somehow, some way. But besides that, these donors of his, and he kept this big force that he had to come in there, they are already cutting and running. And they're cutting and running to the moldy best guy in Virginia who said he's absolutely not right, but now he's reconsidering. Because his pet, that $8.2 million, I believe it was, that DeSantis got, Within that month period, $18 million was donated to Youngkin because they don't think DeSantis and his failed Disney princess wife can win. That's where we're at. The media's been fluffing this man forever, trashing Harris, who actually beats him in almost every single head-to-head. But the media is constantly fluffing this man up, who is not worthy, not worth the time, and is not very talented politically. So we're basically in a situation where probably going to have Biden-Harris God willing for health reasons. And then on the other end, Trump and Scott, God willing, based on these cases being able to get to the court, past file start before this year starts. So I don't trust the SOTUS to allow prosecution to happen past January 1st of next year, but we'll see on that. But outside of that, like, we're in a good situation. I'm glad to see what everybody's doing. I'm glad to be back in. Uh, north, away from my sister. I do love my sister, though, but be away from them and all their yelling and their screaming and their demanding and their inviting. But outside of that, I love my family. I love y'all. I will give the floor over to her. We love you too. Mm. Thank and you so very much, Geechee. We love you. <laughs> all right. Okay, um, Ngazi and then Renee. And um, um, well, I tell you what, Renee and then Ngazi, we're going to wrap up with that. And because I, I just, I, I do want to close and I appreciate you guys being here. So, Ngazi, I'll let you wrap up before I close this out. Um, I don't really have a lot to say. I mean, Gichi really, uh, you know, Gichi really went all the way there. So, um, I guess I will, t- <laughs> I'll just say, you know, everybody enjoy your weekend and let's put, you know, let's put our little, our little wishers, our little candles together for an indictment to come, um, very soon. Cause I'm looking forward to that. So hopefully in the, in the next week, I really want it before Juneteenth. Um, I mean, I'm going to give, so we can really celebrate. Okay. Right. <laughs> but it's you know but that's two weeks but but if it, it it really probably should be next week so we'll see but that Juneteenth is, is my cutoff so he needs to hear that <laughs> and comply with my demands um because it's time um it 
I, I just sent Mark actually an article that a Washington Post put out uh, today that I just saw this evening that said that um, Fonnie Willis's investigation may be like may she her probe may be going beyond the state of Georgia. <laughs> so it's gonna it's just getting it's getting thick and it's getting interesting. So I need Jack to, to get it moving because uh, he's working on two cases. The documents case is just the first one. The January 6th one is the second. Um, and that is going to be a yes. long time yes. off. So that one's, you know, that's going to take a lot of time. So to me, he needs to get going on this. So, um, so I'm looking forward to that. And I'm not, I'm rebuking um, all, everything that Marcus has said about, Merrick Garland considering some sort of plea, you know, um, this dude is guilty of like, you know, espionage and treason. So, you know, and that is problematic, not just because of what he did or what he may have done or what he tried to do. But again, with Trump, people need to understand and, and a lot of people don't because they do not consider global politics. Like people just think everything is so immediate and they just think of America. But there's so much damage that he did to our, our reputation, to uh, to our institutions that you've got to understand that global leaders have lost a lot of faith in in our democracy and what we stand for because of him. And he is continuing to make our country look like a bunch of fools. So if you do not hold him accountable for everything that he's done, especially if it has crossed the line of espionage, which puts other countries and other interests and allies at risk, then no. So I, I will absolutely have Mayor Garland's entire ass for that. And I'm not, I won't even hear of it. So we're not gonna speak of it again, I'm rebuking it. And I know he listens to Miss D's faces because everybody does. So Merrick, don't even think about it. <laughs> and then the last thing I want to say, um, <clears throat> just to kind of just to retouch on the whole uh, the whole cult thing, you know, it again, everyone thinks that cult behavior cults are, you know, not everybody joins a cult, but cult behavior. OK, is very pe people don't think that they're susceptible to it and i need everybody to understand that every single person walking this planet is susceptible to cult behavior y'all log on to twitter right pretty much every day or social media every day go people to church every sunday and wednesday people, yes people participate in groupthink right there's there are a lot of characteristics of cults that if you are not careful you can easily fall into and it can be a destructive pattern for you and not all cults start out that way they don't all start out you know some evil thing uh, a, a lot of them start you know with noble intentions and with good intentions and over time because of lack of challenges to the, the authority in place because of people covering things up because of people literally not uh, and being accomplices and not standing up for what's right slowly they be can become these insular uh, damaging and manipulative environments so we all have to constantly resist that and we all have to note those patterns in our workplaces and in the communities that we're involved in. So the con you know, that noting those patterns is important, not just for the purpose of our democracy and politics in this discussion, but just in your own personal lives. And I just think that the more people um, 
I guess, familiarize themselves with the patterns of people who just speak in a suppressive tone. That's really what it is. Um, and understand how common it is to, for some, in some situations, to hear language like that. It's about detecting the language because someone that is speaking suppressively is they've got an agenda, period. So it's just it's just conditioning that. And that's just it's just stuff I'm used to. So it's whatever. But I just want to point that out, um, because I think that, again, a, a huge reason why we think that this is something that doesn't affect our daily is because people don't think, you know, people are like, oh, people who join cults are crazy. And it's like, oh, everybody's got behaviors that can be addictive, you know what I mean? And, and that can be toxic. So, and if you're a, in a group of people that are doing that, then that can easily, you know, become something like a cult. So I just want to just laying that down. Thank you for letting me speak again. Um, Dee, thanks for inviting me up to, to chat. Everybody have, like I said, a good night and a good weekend. Well, thank you so very much. And again, I am so glad that, you know, you have shared the things that you have with us um, on uh, cults, the cult behavior and the susceptibility of everyone to it and, and to be um, aware of it. And I hope, again, uh, it has, you know, enlightened some people and maybe caused them to uh, be a little bit more aware. And uh, as you pointed out, it is about um, language because generally it's it's that that is how the indoctrination, um, you know, kind of um, is um, instilled. Um, of course, behaviors and those types of things, too. But um, it's important to kind of understand and recognize the language of, that you're hearing um, so that you recognize maybe when, you know, people um, are part of it. And uh, if these are people that maybe, you know, uh, and maybe they don't recognize that they've uh, become susceptible and fallen into this. Uh, and before they go too deep in, sometimes they can be rescued, but sometimes it takes a lot, a lot of work. And I, again, agree with everything you said. It's not a matter of just writing these people off as crazy or saying that only crazy people um, get involved or attracted to it because um, the QAnon stuff um, should have um, shown us and reminded us that um, even well-educated, smart people um, can get caught up in um, crazy behavior from that groupthink um, type of effect. So again, I appreciate you so much. And I'm going to give uh, my co-host her closing words and thank all of you once again. And I'll say a few things before I wrap it up and um, wish you all a great weekend. Thank you. Um, I, again, will reiterate how much I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, and Renee, yes, you make very, very, very valid points about how it, some, some cults don't start out as cults. Um, again, because I grew up in this space, I've literally watched churches go from being regular, normal churches to cults. Um, just wrapped up a podcast about it recently, actually. Um, so my final, one of the thoughts I had as well was talking about VP is that Kamala Harris is actually doing a very, very good job of maintaining the balance between being the VP that doesn't overshadow the president but the administration is doing a great job of really deploying her in very, very strategic ways. I've really enjoyed watching the communities that they're using her to speak to. 
Um, I noticed that she spends a lot of time talking to young people, which obviously Biden would have a harder time connecting with on the um, forefront of like the maternal health and um, abortion, which again, Biden would have a hard time communicating, but sending her out there puts a very like relatable face. And I'm just interested to watch how spending the, the, these last couple of years and then going into the, the election cycle, the, the connection she's been building in the background will come to the fore when it's time that I'm, I'm trying to be careful with not pushing too much on like, watch VP, watch VP, because obviously the Republicans are going to be pushing that as like, we're not running against Biden. We're running against Kamala Harris because of his age or whatever, but also making sure that we don't let her fall too far to the background so that when it's time for us to start talking about her accomplishments, like we're like, here are the receipts that we've been collecting for all of these years. Um, so I'm actually kind of, I'm not concerned about the media not running her narrative so much. So right now, just as long as their their narratives about her are, are, you know, in good faith and not disrespectful, let them ignore her. That's what, honestly, as VP, that's what they're supposed to do. Because she's laying a very, very good foundation. She's really building these relationships with our community partners. The Africa trip was, I really feel like a, a pivotal point just historically that we don't even see all of the investments that were made there. The seeds that were planted, like in our generation, we'll be seeing the fruits of those grow significantly. And we'd be able to point back and be like, VP Harris did that. So um, I think it's, it's interesting watching how the administration is moving, even with um, allowing, I think her name is Shalonda, or, um, to, to lead the communication or the, the debt um, deal. So many people in this administration have so many strong talents that we just learned how to let them hang out in the background and quietly do their job. And then when it's time, we're like, hey, look at this great person the administration hired to do this very spectacular thing. And it's just interesting to see how it's embedded across the cabinet that this is a really, really well hired administration, just historically. So I will land my plane that we are living in an interesting era and time to see how the president that no one expected to win has put America on a path that our grandchildren will be reaping the benefits of. That's pretty cool. Thank you. And I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend and a safe weekend. Yes, absolutely. And Ghazi, thank you so very much for um, hanging out and uh, co-hosting with me tonight. And I think it has been fabulous conversation as always with some fabulous um, speakers. And um, I appreciate everyone who has joined and um, hung out in the gallery listening I see you. I appreciate you. And um, you make us great, too. So thank you for doing that. I just wanted to address, um, I know someone um, had mentioned um, that they felt um, we were too hard on progressives in um, Congress. And I am sure that there are lots of people here who can speak to that. I'm just going to speak to it as, you know, from a personal standpoint, my viewpoint, and as the host of the space and the reason that I have this space. Um, Because um, 
most of you know that I initially started having spaces around um, democracy, democracy first. And um, then I kind of uh, veered into um, something that I had been working on for some time before my democracy first discussions, and that is advocacy. But I realized that I can't advocate for education, for housing, for health care, for a lot of other things if we're not living in a democracy. And so first and foremost, I advocate for democracy. And when I speak about progressives and their behavior, those in office, those out of office, those uh, voting for them, those cheerleading for them, I am speaking to those that I feel are harmful to our democracy because it is very much in danger. And um, I'm old enough to remember and to see how what is now the Freedom Caucus, how they rose from the Tea Party and when they came about. They came about and started to grow. I watched people that I worked with, uh, patients that I cared for, who I felt like I had great relationships with, lose their ever-loving minds and become totally different people when Barack Obama took office. And that's when the Tea Party started to um, make noise. And they were actually able to get into Congress to not only make noise, but to make laws, to stop laws and to obstruct. They were <laughs> funded by dark money, another one of the things that I talk about. In 2010, the Cokes and so many other networks, and I, I've you know, done some slides uh, and videos on them, please watch those, because none of this stuff is happening um, by accident. It's being orchestrated, and it's <laughs> being orchestrated to destroy our democracy as we know it. So again, going back to why I say what I do about progressives is it because I see them in the same light that I saw the Tea Party. They spout nice things, great things, but they don't have a clue or they don't care about getting a clue about how civics work and how governance works. They just want to yell and make a lot of noise. And our democracy is in too much of a peril at this point to tolerate any of that. And again, as I say, the Democratic Party is progressive. So why they feel they need to differentiate themselves is a problem in itself for me. Because it's not that any of the things that they say that they want and that they are for that the Democrats are against. Please name me one. It's about how you get there. And they're not interested in how you get there. They just want to make noise. And a lot of them are making noise off the backs of our democracy and grifting off people. And I see them as a danger. When they do good things, I applaud them. When I see their behavior creating more chaos and obstruction and danger to our democracy, yes, I am going to call them out. As I said before, the Justins here, they're progressives. 
everything they did during this last session, I stood up, applauded them and amplified them because it was good. They were standing their ground. They were speaking the truth. But some of those Democrats up in Congress, they were yelling and speaking and sitting on the steps of Congress and stopping the rest of America from benefiting from things that they were demanding because they didn't get every single thing that they wanted. And that is not how government works. There is no organizations. There is not even a household that you can live in where you're going to get everything that you want. Life doesn't work that way. So, yeah, if we're hard on the progressive sometimes, that's why. So I just want you to understand, because I'm all about people, everybody getting involved in politics. It's one of the core reasons why I continue to have these spaces, because I want people to be civically engaged, but I want them to be informed and to be pragmatic because our government works best from the center. You know, what Tiff said earlier tonight, it's all about how it's working from the center. These extremes get us nowhere. And we are not in a time where we can afford to waste time on things that don't work. And these extremes also continue to make the schisms deeper. So it, it continues to break the democracy and to uh, delay the, the restore, restoration and the repair of it. So I get passionate about that. And like I said, I love that these young people are running. I think everyone should. And it's not like we should, we have to all agree on everything, but damn it, we should agree on maintaining our democracy, our, our, our uh, economic stability, which, again, our democracy rests on. So anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox. And I just want to thank all of you for joining us, um, sharing with us and updating us. And I want to encourage you to join Soul Sister and I on Monday. Um, as usual, we'll be there at um, noon and um, we'll be talking about um, some of the latest things that are going on and I'll be digging a little bit more into dark money and um, you know, how it is affecting our democracy, but we need to understand it. Just as Renee was talking about, you know, the cults and how they, they train these people, dark money is paying for some of this training and these people. So um, just stay woke everybody and have a fabulous weekend and hope to see you all again. Um, on Monday in Advocacy Arena. Till then, peace and blessings. <laughs>